that big smile from Andrew Gold, who is just so delighted that we are back with the full episode <laughs> of Atwood Unleashed 74. And Ooh. on tonight's show, we have our usual 15-minute warm-up discussion about tonight's guests and the breaking news of Alex Belfield getting sentenced, followed by two hours exclusively on YouTube, three hours of, sorry, hour three and four on Patreon. Link will be in the description box if you want to join our wonderful Patreon community. And then we've got also the Madeline McCann libel case. So last week we were wishing for some guests who are experts on weather alteration, geoengineering, harp. And our first guest tonight is Dane Wigington, lead researcher for geoengineeringwatch.org. He's investigated all levels of geoengineering from chemtrails to harp. He's going to be discussing covert ops that are manipulating the weather worldwide and how we can bring climate engineering ops to an end. Then it was a massive buzz in the live stream last week when we had Mitchell Gerber on who exposed the forced organ harvesting of the Falun Gong spiritual movement in China. It was quite brutal last week. And he's going to be our second guest tonight at 6.30 to 7. He's going to be discussing the corrupt CCP and how they are infiltrating the West, the impact they are having, and how they plan to sabotage the Western world. Then, Andrew Gold is going to be taking the third guest of the night. Andrew? Yeah, well, for the last hour on YouTube tonight, we're going to be chatting with Steeple Times Editor-in-Chief Matthew Steeples, and we're going to be talking about a few different things. One of them, as you mentioned, is Alfield's conviction. This is a BBC radio host or former YouTube personality, all that stuff, you know, big name. And he's gotten done for, he's going down, I should say, for stalking several members of the public online, among them celebrity in the UK, Ian Lee and Jeremy Vine. So that's going to be huge. It's, it's like the biggest story in the UK right now. It's a really weird and strange one because it's changing the way we talk about stalking because the word stalking, of course, you think of someone hanging around someone's house and that kind of thing. In this case, it's more about bullying and harassment. We'll also be talking with Matthew Steeples about Philip Schofield who jumped in a queue to pay respects to the Queen. It's caused a big hoo-ha. And of course, we'll be talking about Madeleine McCann and the latest thing going on there, the European Court of Human Rights challenge to the Portuguese Supreme Court's decision to throw out their libel case against a former detective who implicated them in their daughter's disappearance. But that Alex Belfield stuff is big at the moment. Sean, did you want to say anything about that? Yeah, let's just run through the complete lineup and we'll come back yep. to Belfield when we know how many let's minutes we've got left. So the first guest on Patreon is an all-time favourite Massively in demand during our coverage of the Who Killed E case. And we're talking investigative journalist Whitney Webb. So she writes for The Unlimited Hangout and The Last American Vagabond and has been praised for her alternative journalism. She's coming back on the Patreon section to discuss her two new books, One Nation Under Blackmail, Volume 1, and One Nation Under Blackmail, Volume 2, which are at treenday.com and cover the Who Killed E story that we can't get into in detail on this channel. And then Andrew has got the next two guests. 
That will be Dr. Avi Loeb, a professor of science at Harvard University and a best-selling author. And he's going to be talking about, you know, he's got this book called Extra Extraterrestrial. Uh, he's also written nearly a thousand papers on a wide range of topics, including black holes, the first stars, the search for extraterrestrial life, and the future of the universe. So I'll find myself on an intellectual par with this man, of course. Of course, not really. And a second installment of geoengineering tonight, we'll have Jim Lee on the show, tracking climate changes, pollution, privacy, and propaganda with over a decade archiving the history of weather modification and geoengineering. So it's more on that stuff. Fascinating stuff, Sean. Indeed, as usual. Kindly arranged by Ash. Huge thank you to everyone in the chat. Thank you to EZE for the super chat. And just to go over then the basics of Alex Belfield before mm -hmm. we get into deeper discourse. So he was jailed for five and a half year sentence. Now, if you're watching this worldwide, if you get a five and a half year sentence here in the UK, usually you do 50%. So you won't do full five and a half. And the news story is as follows. He was found guilty of stalking four people, including broadcaster Jeremy Vine. He was sentenced at Nottingham Crown Court. And the judge said his stalking methods were just as effective a way of intimidating victims and in many ways much harder to deal with than traditional stalking. You made communications which had serious impacts on the private lives of the complaints and had distressing effects on their physical and mental health. And he was originally charged with stalking eight different people, mostly current or former BBC staff. He was found guilty of offences in relation to two other of the complainants, BBC Radio Northampton presenter Bernie Keith and videographer Ben Hewis. For each of the charges, he was sentenced to two and a half years in prison to run consecutively. He was cleared of stalking charges in relation to former BBC Radio Leeds presenter Liz Green and Stephanie Hurst, plus Helen Thomas and BBC's former head of North, Rosina Breen. So Jeremy Vine and theatre blogger Philip Dehany, he was found guilty of two less offences of simple stalking which does not require serious alarm or distress to be proved. For those, he was sentenced 13 weeks, also to run consecutively. Judge said he made wholly false allegations about Mr. Vine stealing a grand, published his home address, and left Mr. Vine so worried he had asked his family to watch out for you. So, Rosina not guilty, Liz Green not guilty, Helen not guilty, Stephanie Hurst not guilty, Bernard Spedding guilty. Majority verdict, Ben Hewis, guilty, unanimous verdict. Phil Dahani, not guilty to the charge of indictment, but guilty of the alternative charge of simple stalking. And Jeremy Vine, not guilty to the charge of the indictment, but guilty to simple stalking, unanimous verdict. So he'll serve half of that in prison and the remainder on license. And there are restraining orders in relation to all the complainants, including those he was not convicted of stalking were also made by the judge. So I'll just start out, I'll repeat some of what I said earlier on today because there's a lot more people on the stream now. When my channel was terminated twice last year, one of our former guests, I was corresponding with her. She was doing collaborations with Alex Belfield who had helped her restore her channel. And the information coming from Belfield and this former guest of ours was very helpful in getting my channel restored. So I'm grateful that that happened. 
and I, I, I credit um, Belfield and our former guest for you know providing that information. So I'd just like to get out of the way, Matt, that my personal experience with Belfield has been a positive one. Now, there's good and bad in everybody, as Nietzsche likes to say in his, his you know, book, Beyond Good and Evil. <laughs> so, did he go too far? Was his passion so much for his battle against these people that he did break the law and he has been punished? Or was he a victim of the establishment just wanting to silence someone who had tons of followers? I'm neutral on this, as usual, and I just want to ask the viewers what they think. So please put a one in the chat if you think that Alex Belfield is a martyr of free speech and he was made an example of and should not be in prison. Please put a two in the chat if you think Alex Belfield is a raving stalker, went way too far, deserves some prison time to reflect on his actions and hopefully he will get out and be on the right track. Mm. Let's, let's see. So lots of ones. I'm intrigued to see this. Yeah, so I don't know. I don't know what so the resp- oh big mix. I think mostly ones. We got about. I think ones are running two thirds to twos right now. Mm. So I, I know Ooh. a lot of our viewers overlapped with Alex Belfield's viewers, and you know when it does come to issues of free speech, this channel has been subjected to various campaigns. Campaigns to destroy my reputation by certain comp- competing entities and mm. black ops and trolls. And it's interesting to know that when things do get so crazy that you think your life is in danger, which happened to me because of a certain podcaster out of Scotland who put videos out to 2 million people saying I had heinous charges in in Arizona against kids. Um, I had to take security measures. I had to get a camera installed in my home. I had to change... And this is what the judge said, you know, if, if things get that intense in your life that you have to change your life patterns, then you are a victim of this kind of stalking. And also the other thing is if there's a threat of harm, if people accuse you of heinous things, you are at threat of getting attacked by members of the public. So there's a threat of harm. And stalking these days does not mean following somebody around. Stalking means... You can be electronically stalked. People can send you excessive emails with threats. If you have hundreds of thousands of followers on YouTube and you harness those followers to target someone and all those followers dogpile that person. And don't forget, if there's a, some, one mentally ill person just t- decides to take the action into their own hands and kills the person that you know this other person is stalking online, it's only a matter of time before something like that happens, guaranteed. Yeah, you know the 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 co-conspirator of the Scottish podcaster, the one-eyed hitman, put my address online. I was completely doxxed, so that path was laid down for someone to come to my house to do harm to me by these people. Someone so did I'll, come last week, didn't they? Like, it's yeah, not, it's not but on. I think. I, I'm not. I didn't get to the bottom of it, but I, I'm just assuming that that was local young people trying to disrupt. The live stream. I, for the I had people messaging I, I thought me. It was going to be on, I thought it was going to be on TikTok. They did it, put it on TikTok or something like that. I thought that as well. I had people messaging all week going like, is Sean all right, mate? And I was like, I don't know. I haven't even checked. He's probably fine. But, you know, hopefully he's all right. But I ran out mad. there. I ran out there with my phone on. And uh, there was nobody immediately there. But I did find a kid in, in the neighboring uh, building. 
And I said, did you see any people come to my door? And he said, yeah, they, they ran off down the road. Uh, I don't know whether he was mm. part of it or what, but um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I reckon so. Mate, it's an interesting one with this Alex Belfort stuff because you've experienced both sides of it. You've been, you've had your free speech clamped down on, your channel taken down, and you've also had people doxing your information and, uh, you know, harassing you. So both sides of it. I know that I had the side of, I've had, you know, horrible emails and stuff. It's not nice. You wake up. It does, it does ruin your night. You know, you don't want to give these people more power than they deserve, but it can ruin your day. It ruins your morning. You end up, oh, should I reply? Now, the thing is, everyone's for free speech, and I don't know entirely how I feel about this, but Alex Belford, we're talking about apparently thousands and thousands and thousands of emails that he was sending to Ian Lee and to other people. This does not speak of a normal bloke. And this is this is where, is that free speech? Because it's not really nice for these people to get thousands of emails. Like, where do you draw a certain line? And, and I don't know. I'm not saying I know one way or the other, but it's a complicated thing. Well, in defense of that, everyone's email account has a thing on it that says block. <laughs> <laughs> but he was getting aliases though you, you, oh okay I mean if you're setting up multiple accounts and just going ballistic <laughs> yeah my first, well, he was ringing up even two, show though my first one or two threatening emails for somebody they're blocked man they're blocked completely yeah but yeah. This, I think the most scary part of this whole thing is if you've got hundreds of thousands of followers and you're targeting someone you've got to have a sense of responsibility it's not like you're just a little channel anymore You've got an army. And people who are so passionate as his supporters because they were going all over the country to watch him doing these sold-out gigs. People that passionate, when you've got an army that passionate, they can wreak havoc and hell on somebody's life. Because my first podcast guest, J.B. Morgan Kane, most viral, but was also the most controversial, he was accused of stolen valour. And even though his story has been verified by Mirror Books, they've published two of his books, he submitted hundreds of pages to them, they verified his story. A large YouTuber went against this guy who didn't have any social media presence so targeted me. He was former Blackwater, former military special ops. He had connections all over the world with black ops people. And my home address went online. My bank account information went online. My phone numbers went online. All my websites went down. To have your financial information online... I had, to, I had to stop my work for a month calling up banks and insurance companies and debit cards and credit cards and this and that to change all my information. And I thought that I was going to have snipers in my garden at one point. That's how crazy it got. So I understand how it feels to have that happen to you. It's happened to me. There's been two rounds of it on me now. There was the Jamie Morgan came round. And then when the Scottish podcaster made his move to try and grab my subscribers when he put out those heinous things about me, tried to destroy my reputation, we had to file a lawsuit to get him to take those videos down. It happened all over again, not as intensively as the first time, but to this day, I'm still, mm. from both of those campaigns against me to this day, I still receive messages and comments from people who believe those things and are still threatening my life. Yeah, it's not on, mate. It's not on. I would just quickly say as well, some people have said, oh, there are only a certain amount of emails in evidence. It wasn't thousands or whatever. So, you know, it's it's there's a lot of he said, she said kind of thing going on. And, and, Should we tell and them the Swami the story? Should we tell them the Swami story before oh, we God, go? Oh, God, this again. Go on. <laughs> just the other month, some people sent me some stuff and I was thinking of blasting back. And I went to see a Swami. He flew over from Germany. Holy man. And he said, think about everything you're doing. Think about it. 
are you doing it all with love? And then think about things you're not doing with love. And then that came to the top of my head. And he says, don't do things that are not, there's not got love behind them. And I, it made me not fire back at those people. And if you, if you follow that, you will, you'll never get in trouble. You'll never get. In I didn't trouble. get. You'll, you'll, I don't. I don't remember getting. People. I don't remember getting a nice message from you about love around that time. <laughs> you said, "Do your work, Andrew. Get get on the YouTube, you horrible man." Eleanor's done a super chat. Let's have a look. Thank you, Eleanor. Can we get that on the screen? Show. Then we're going to go yeah. over to the first guest of the evening. Cool. I, I will see minute. you in an hour. All right. See you in an hour. Cool. I'll just read Eleanor's super chat out. Thousands of emails of only 30 were able to be produced in court. BBC investigated emails where they found no wrongdoing. Sniff test has failed on this. All right. We're going to go over to the first guest. I do see Matthew Steeples in the sidebar. Matthew, you're scheduled to come on in an hour, so I imagine you are just checking out your technology because we're bringing in Dane Wigington. Unless you want to come in and co-host. Hey, Dane, how's it going, man? Oop, can't, can't, you've got no audio, Dane. Do you want to refresh your screen or check your audio connection? There's a little button at the bottom left, I think it is, and settings. No, underneath the screens, there's a settings button. And then you can click on your audio and make sure you've got the correct audio input going. Let's see if we can sort him out. Bring Matthew on in the meantime. Hey, Matthew, how's it going, man? Uh, hello, how are you? Yeah, our first guest is struggling with audio, so I'm delighted that you're on standby to fill his boots. Oh, I know. Well, you, uh, you've got plenty to talk about. Uh, you know, there's lots going on with Madeleine McCann. There's lots going on with Philip Schofield and the Royals. And um... Madeleine McCann's never out the news. What is the latest? Well, um... The McCanns lost their case against the Portuguese government yesterday in the European Court of Human Rights. Um, I imagine their costs are going to be very, very substantial. And who will be paying for that? That is the question. That is the question that should everybody know. You know, there is there are about there are a few hundred thousand left in the fund of the uh, the McCann. Um, supporters, I can't remember what it's called now, but, um, you know, should they have to pay it themselves? What was the case about? Um, well, they tried to say that a detective called um, Goncalo Amaral had defamed them, but the, the court yesterday decided finally that the... Um, the, 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 they were not defamed by the the actions of the detective, but they were put there because they were made suspects. And anybody who you can ask about this, you know, I spoke to a man today, a friend of mine, Sir Benjamin Slade, who always rings me up and asks me about any of these things to do with McCann, because he's got a great interest in it. Um, they were made suspects, so they're still suspects to this day. So... It wasn't the fault of the detective that they were a suspect. So suing him was a very bad idea. And at one point they did win 400,000, I think, euro in damages, but then he won against them the next time round. But they've got three months to appeal, so they might, they might use more of the public money. 
But I think what's disgraceful is 14 million pounds of public money, of British public money, has been wasted on this investigation. The Operation Grange, if you look at their website to this very morning, as I did, it says the Operation Grange continues. What about all the other missing people? What about, you know, the, 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 the poor mother of Ben Needham, the boy who went missing in Greece, who gets next to nothing in help? You know, my friend went missing and we kindly talked about it on your channel. They found him. You know, other people get, thousands of people go missing and nobody gets 14 million other than McCann. And I find that very curious. Well, isn't it par for the course in a criminal investigation when a child goes missing that the parents are suspected? Just like in, you know, when, when women get murdered, often the partner is suspected? Yes, but equally, in this case, we should remember it should not be a British investigation. It should be a Portuguese investigation. The child went missing in Portugal. And then we've got the matter of... Um, I, sorry, my stupid computer is making noise here. Um, um, we've got the matter of also Christian Bruckner, who is the German suspect, and he's not been charged. Tell, tell the viewers a little bit about Christian. So Mr. Bruckner is a very evil man, without a doubt. He has been convicted of raping people, um, but most of his victims are older. Some of his victims are younger, but... But the majority of victims are elderly women, well, middle-aged to elderly women, as opposed to three-year-old children. Um, and the German police have been pursuing this man and saying he's a suspect, but even they are coming towards the conclusion that they haven't got a reason to charge him yet. Um, and the gentleman we met at the crime conference um, what, what is his name? You'll know his name. Um, the double barrel police. Um, Mark Williams Thomas. Mark Williams Thomas. He he went to Portugal with a view to trying to make a program saying Christian Bruckner was the kind of person to do this. And he came to the conclusion that he couldn't find any evidence. So many people have been going down this avenue of Christian Bruckner. They've, they've examined buildings. They've examined vehicles, um, but they haven't found anything. It's yet another red herring in the case. Look, if you've got fourteen million pounds of money sloshing around, all and then on top of that, you've got all the private money that was put into this. People like Philip Green offered a million. Um, Richard Branson, the Sun newspaper. Somebody would have traded in the perpetrator. It looks it's like our with a wonky eye, it's got a strange eye condition. This child is easily identifiable if it were still alive. And those Cadavar dogs sense death in the cupboard of that house. Now, whatever happened that night, whoever knows. We don't know. I don't I, I don't make any theories about it because you can't make a theory about something when you weren't present. You know, I'm not I'm not I'm not the oracle. So I can't say what happened, but, you know, I have met Mr. and Mrs. McCann. Um, didn't particularly like them, but that doesn't mean that they're guilty. But equally, I do think they were appalling to leave their children unattended when they could have paid for childcare and they could have easily have done that. You know, they were doctors. And it's not as if they couldn't afford it. 
So Matthew, I know you don't subscribe to subs- conspiracy theories, but what do you think about this theory that the kid was given some kind of sedative and, and, and actually died and the body was was disposed of? Um, well, I don't I don't know, but I've, I've read many of those theories. I've equally come across many things on that level um, which suggests, you know, that obviously there was the scent of death in the cupboard in the apartment. There was the scent of death in the, in the car, the cat of our dogs. You know, lots of things that don't make sense. And I, I, if you read my articles, I always put a few questions at the end and I say questions without answers. And I urge people to read those and they can make their own judgments. All right, so I'm going to ask the viewers then if they've got any questions for you. We've got one coming already. Ash has said, um, if you've got any fans or anything in the room to, to turn them turn them off, uh, Matthew, he's, he's getting a bit of feedback. in the room Okay, let me turn this down. All right, so have they faced charges for neglect? Um, no. And do you think they were neglectful? Under British law, they would have been, yes. Under British law? Their children unattended. But many people I know would say, you know, we're, we left, we leave our children, you know, they're not far away. But in this case, if you look at the map, of where the house is, um, the apartment goes straight onto the street, public high street. Um, the place where they were, where they were having their tapas and their food, was not visible. Okay, they all went and checked periodically the tapas seven, and they called the tapas seven. This group, the friends, and the other parents left their children unattended as well. So, you know, they weren't alone in doing this, but it's, um, no, it's a, it's not the way that you'd expect normal people who could afford childcare to behave, and especially to leave the door open. Unlocked. So, not, one, one question is coming for you, Matthew. What evidence yes. do you cite to absolve the McCanns of guilt? I don't absolve them of guilt. Well, that was answered. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't say they're guilty or not guilty because because there's never been a never been a body found, so that's not for me to answer, is it? Really? Can you see that question on the screen? Um, no, I can see you on. I can uh, I can see half a question, but oh, ah, right. Are we likely to ever get closure? Right. Um, I think highly unlikely. I think that this child, the body must have been put somewhere very far away where it will never be found. You know, there were lots of building sites in that area. You know, the concrete could have gone over the next day. All sorts of things could have happened because with this level of money involved and this level of people involved. So, you know, the McCanns had parties in Downing Street. Peter Mandelson got involved. Um, you know, they went for vodka and risotto with Clement Freud. You know, lots of very powerful people supported them. The, you know, the, the Branson and um, Philip Green and um, this double glazing tycoon from the north of England. Um, they they had big supporters. 
So if this were to be solved, it would have been solved already. It doesn't make sense that this goes on and on. And, you know, I came into contact with them through a lady called Lady Catherine Mayer, was, or Lady Mayer was her name. She was married to a man called Sir Christopher Mayer. He was British ambassador to Washington. He died a few weeks ago. Um, and she ran a charity to do with abducted children. And that's how I was introduced to them. And I immediately took a dislike to them. I found them very aggressive, particularly him. I found her a bit strange. Um, but I didn't like his temper. He was a very rude man. And I thought that that was my only observation of him. I but that doesn't make him anything other than a very rude man. Let's see if there's still any feedback. Do you have a headset by any chance, Matthew? Do I have a headset? Um, yeah. I do have some um, speakers. If I could go and... Do you want me to... Yeah, go, go and grab them, because there's still a little bit of feedback. And... We are going to be bringing in Mitchell early, I think, while we continue with Matthew. Let me just, because I can still hear the feedback on myself there. This should be better. Right, so now, Matthew, you've got to change your audio. Yes, there we go. Let's hear you, Matthew. Hello. <laughs> yep. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you, yes. Oh, that's perfect. You have fixed the problem of the feedback. That's oh, great. Gosh. I really appreciate that. All right. So the next question that's come in from the desolate one. What about the questions they refuse to answer? Um, Sean, could you ask if it's being posed to the McCanns again? Great show. Um, they haven't been posed to them again because they haven't been back to Portugal as far as I'm aware. Um, they left Portugal because they didn't want to answer the questions. Mark Wilson wants to know why they could not afford babysitters if they were wealthy doctors. Well, that's a question you'd have to ask them, but um, I find it very odd that they chose not to do that. Um, but but the whole group, the whole tap of seven, they all, they all had the same mentality, so... It was obviously a thing of that group of people that they didn't feel the need to pay for childcare, but they did pay for childcare during the day on occasions, which I find quite odd. So why would Next you question. pay at do night? You believe the Do you believe the couple who went on holiday with the McCanns? Um, well, there was there were seven people, so I don't know which couple you mean. Did, they, did all of the seven people just give them the alibi of you know it was an accident? Um, kind of there thing? were many. There were many. Well, they didn't. They didn't say it was an accident. They didn't. They didn't know what happened. They all. They all had different stories, but the main one is a lady called Jane Tanner, and she's the one that most people like to ask about because she changed her story a number of times. Jenny wants to know why did she, the twit? Why did why did the twins not get taken? Just Madeline. Um, I have utterly no idea. I couldn't answer that, but it seems very odd, doesn't it? Yes. Karen wants to know: Is it true there was childcare available on the site? Um, it was. It was a Mark Warner Resort, and um, yes, childcare was available there. 
Next question. Do you believe that she was abducted? That's from Truth. Um, I personally believe that the evidence points to something happening in the cupboard. In the cupboard? Could you expand on that? Um, the Cadavar dogs sense death in the cupboard. And the Cadavar dogs haven't been proven to lie in the past. So I do think there is an evidence there is evidence that the poor child something happened to it in that apartment and the fact that there's never been a body found or a child found you know there are these ridiculous sightings like people say oh they heard a child speaking german with a strange eye in a supermarket but they never cite a source um i do think that sadly poor madeline died in that apartment by whatever means happened but I don't know. I can't prove it. And, you know, the child could still be alive. It is entirely possible that the child was abducted and taken away. But it's entirely possible that it died in that apartment. But I think the likelihood is the cat of our dogs are not lying. And that's Gary, what Mr. That... Amaral, um, you know, seems to think. And he, he continues to maintain what he says about it in his book. And... I hope that his book is now published in Britain. Gary Denton has asked, will they be brought in to answer questions with the police again? Um, with the Portuguese police or the British police? Or let's, the German let's, let's, police? Let's, let's talk about both. Um, well, there's all three. Um, so I, the, 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 the British police cooperate with them through Operation Grange. Um, they support them, and that's funded by repeated um, uh, Home Secretaries, Theresa May being one of them in the past, um, you know, more recently Pretty Patel. Um, the Portuguese police are not particularly happy with them because they don't cooperate with them. Um, and the German police seem to have this thing about this Brockner, but they're not getting very far with it. So... I don't see any any likelihood of Mr. and Mrs. McCann being questioned about anything again in the near future. The desolate one has sent a question for me. Sean, do you feel that the McCanns are guilty of illegal reasons you are not allowed to say? So I don't know. I'm an observer of all the different theories. We've interviewed everybody from David I to Mark Williams, Thomas, and a range of views in between. We've tried to absorb as much information as possible on this case. So at the least, I think there was negligence in just leaving the kids in that room and going over and having that meal. I think that security protocol should have been tighter. They should have contracted some kind of adult uh, babysitter from the facility or there should have been you know, more supervision and adults watching what was going on. So I think at a very minimum, you know, um, and, and now if, if they're not guilty, to have that happen is the most heinous thing that could ever happen in a parent's life. So, you know, our hearts go out to them for the nightmare, you know, they, they must um, have dealt with. So next question for you, Matthew, is from Nick. Do you think that she could have been, I'm not going to say that word because the algorithm doesn't like it. We use the word transported. Mm -hmm. We use yes. the word transported. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, I think that's highly unlikely. I think, you know, if if this child had gone somewhere, 
then somebody would have interacted with the person that took that child. Um, you know, there's even one photograph of a woman who looks like a certain person we can't mention whose initials are G uh, M. And the woman really does look like her. And, you know, um, somebody who came into interaction with somebody who did that would have traded them in because the rewards involved are into the millions of pounds. You know, when, when there's the rewards, someone's always going to snitch. You know this. You've been through the prison system. You know, you've, you've encountered people who, who've no doubt probably been, you know, they, they think that they're loyal to people until there's something put on the table which gets them out of their own situation. And, you know, I know people like that, as you know, and we've talked about it in the past. Somebody would have traded in somebody if that child were there because that child has a very distinctive eye you can't hide its eye it can't you know you can ch you can color its hair black or brown or red or whatever you want to do but you can't change its eye that child would have been found by now if it was still alive i do believe fred wants to know why weren't they charged with neglect by the portuguese um, because they left Portugal. They said they were being pursued. And the Sun ran a headline to that effect. Kat wants to know, why do you think the British government put so much money into this one case? Well, I think we've talked about this before. Um, it was a case that came about at a very key period. So every 10 or 15 years, there is a case. So the case before was Jamie Bulger the poor child in Liverpool who was taken by those dreadful boys who beat him to death on a rail track. And, you know, that was a case that shocked the nation. And in key political periods, you have a case like this. And it's a good, it's a good thing for a government to use. So this was at the period of the end of Tony Blair's government in May 2007, um, before Gordon Brown came in. And this was a case that captured the mood of the nation. And I was in California at the time. I remember being there. And it came up on the news all the time there. And the other big case was the one of that awful man that killed his wife and drowned her in the bay and killed the unborn child. And it was the both of, they were both at the same time. I remember it very, very well. And Tony Blair and Gordon Brown both was involved and then of course later david cameron came to be involved in this once you get key actors of of state involved in a case you can't have these people accused of anything because um it would reflect badly on them so it's become a it's become one of those stories where every, there's so many powerful people involved that no one would dare come up with an alternative narrative I suppose. Now I cannot say what happened and I really don't know and I've met Mr and Mrs McCann and you know I, I, if they are totally innocent other than you know of leaving the door open um, they it's a terrible thing for them but equally if this is one giant cover-up 
and and you're you you do have many people who believe in things like this, whereas I less so believe in that. Um, it's a terrible. That's an equal terrible thing, but something here doesn't make sense and what makes no sense at all and sir benjamin slade said it to me this afternoon when i was on the phone to him was um you know why 14 million for that one child why not 14 million for every child you know why does this one case get continual reallocation of metropolitan police money i think it's an outrage Next question is from Macby. Has proof of life been shown before the alleged date of kidnapping? Um, well, there were plenty of photographs of the child with other members of the group from the plane to the swimming pool. Yes, so I don't think you can say if the child was in that resort, yes. Just want to give a huge shout out then to people watching the stream across all the platforms right now. We're on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. We've got almost 2,000 people watching. So just want to shout out. Thank you for all your questions. They're flying in so fast. Some of them, we're losing them because there's so many of them, but we are trying to get through them. And um, yeah, please, you know, like well, well, and subscribe. What I, would, what, what I would say is, you know, when I wrote about this yesterday, I had, I had about 15,000 people write to me from wow. Facebook. Facebook is the, the thing, the difference between this case and other cases is because I think the people who are interested are a little older, they're mostly on Facebook. And they, there are so many groups on Facebook de dedicated to the Madeleine McCann case and lots of expats. Because obviously saw... a lot of British people live in Portugal. The stoned alien wants to know what could make the British government do an investigation? Um, well, the British government have um, funded the Metropolitan Police Operation Grange into this, but um, that's what they do. Crazy Bunny wants to know, why did Robert Murat fly out so quickly? Uh, well, I... I don't know that much about Mr. Marat, but Mr. Marat has been completely exonerated, and I don't think it's fair to talk about him. Why, after all these years, are the McCanns still being brought up on the radio? They really tried to discredit the Portuguese police. What's going on? Um, they are very able at connecting with people of power. So they've had friends in every government since their child disappeared or whatever you would like to describe it as. Um, so they, they knew Blair, they knew Brown, they knew David Cameron, they knew Theresa May. Um, they have been very able at keeping their story alive. Now, you could say that's a, an amazing thing, but... Um, I just think it's disproportionate that they've been able to do that. Um, um, as regards the book, I don't like the book. I refused to buy the book. I went and looked at it in Waterstones in King's Road in London when it came out. And I just thought, what a strange book that she talked about when we went to visit the Pope and when we went to visit Obama and 
when we went on Philip Cheek Green's plane and when we were on a net jet. I thought, why don't you talk about your child a bit more? I didn't like it. And then, you know, then I subsequently met her and I found her a weak person and I found him aggressive. Next question. Can you ask why Dr. Mark Perlin wasn't allowed to break the blood markers down for free? He can prove it's Maddie's blood. Um, I don't know the answer to that. Okay, next question. We, I I'm sorry, if had, I can't answer the question, I'm not going to... We've never had so many questions come in, Matthew. There's, we, this could go on for hours, but we're about to bring in our next guest. Do you want to stay with us for the next guest, Matthew? I will carry on, yes. Fantastic. All right, then. Let me bring in Mitchell. One second. Let me just... So many of you watched last week's where we opened up with the video about the forced organ harvesting of the Falun Gong spiritual movement in China. And Mitchell, he's putting his life on the line reporting on this subject. He's in that area, the border area, and he's back. And people last week really were just going wild in the chat over what was disclosed because i'd heard of we're going to call it transporting yes people people uh transporting organs from prisoners but on this industrial scale with these people from the falun gong spiritual movement who are very healthy and there's a ton of them so they've got this massive crop of healthy organs so let's bring mitchell in shall we hey mitchell how's it going man What's going on, Sean? Hey, Matthew, how are you doing? Oh, good evening, good uh, Mitchell. Hello, nice to meet you. And I look forward to hearing what you've got to say. Yes, you can too. You just, Thank you. Can you just remind the viewers who are not familiar with you, Mitchell, what you do? Sure, Sean. I have been exposing for the last 23 years. And you too, uh, Matthew, I'm grateful that you're here to share uh, to listen to it as well. I'm close to the Chinese border, 23 years of my life, exposing the forced live organ harvesting, kill-to-order genocide uh, of the innocent spiritual practitioners of a spiritual movement called Falun Gong that have been sent to state-mandated hospitals by the Chinese Communist military and the CCP, and their, their, their organs are harvested out of their bodies while alive, cut out of the bodies, and then sold and to fuel a multi-billion dollar business, a kill-to-order genocide, which also includes the Uyghur Muslims, the House Christians, and the Tibetans, but mainly this beautiful, honorable spiritual movement, namely Falun Gong, that has really been demonized and vilified by the Chinese government, um, and has, this genocide has been concealed so and hidden by the general to, to the you know uh, to the general public. So this is what I've been doing for the last 23 years risking my life on the front lines on close to the Chinese border. Let me just let the viewers know that uh, Matthew is going to be here until 8 o'clock and he will be continuing to take the rest of your questions um, in 30 minutes' time. Matthew, have you heard about this? What's happening no, I in China? Heard, I, I, I've, heard, I've heard bits of this, but I'd love to know more about it. And I, I'm, I'm amazed at your work. And, you know, I commend you for... Thank you know, you, calling out such terrible things. And I'd, I'd, I'd happily uh, do an interview with you. I'll be honoured, really, and a privilege. So, Mitchell, how did you infiltrate the CCP? Well, I have been more exposing the CCP, Sean, 
for 23 years of my life. I started in, in America and I have been receiving death threats. I've been involved in an assassination attempt in South Africa. I was uh, fortunate enough to band together and bring the coalition of investigators that have confirmed these allegations are true, unfortunately, to uh, the British Parliament in Westminster Abbey. And uh, I now am on the Chinese border exposing the 25-year campaign forced live organ harvesting genocide where uh, innocent hundreds and thousands of innocent Falun Gong practitioners, these uh, healthy, kind-hearted individuals that became the largest spiritual movement in China have been sent by the Chinese Communist military, the PLA, and the Chinese Communist regime to state-mandated hospitals and over 252 concentration camps their organs then cut out of their bodies while alive, while alive, while the blood is still flowing. So I took this on, Matthew and Sean and everybody that's listening, because I felt to fail to support the good and to fail to expose the evil is unacceptable. So, you know, this is where we are right now. And I reached out to Susie Hughes, the executive director of endtransplantabuse.org and author Ethan Gutman. And majority of these organs are coming from, they are saying, uh, a majority of the buyers who are buying these organs are foreign, uh, excuse me, not foreign, uh, Chinese citizens. It's late here, sorry, it's about almost one o'clock in the morning. But Chinese citizens who are buying these organs on demand. However, my research has also connected big pharma, biotech firms, and Planned Parenthood in the United States in a 500, particularly Planned Parenthood in 2016, and I just wanted to share this with you um, to just, just get the facts straight, you know, because I don't want to just uh, come off as a conspiracy theorist to a lot of the mainstream people who have ignored this issue, Sean. But in 2016, Li Bin, the director of the Chinese Communist Party's National Health and Family Planning Commission, HFPC, Matthew, announced that it would contribute $528 million, it's half a billion dollars, to Planned Parenthood for fiscal year 2016 in exchange for the continued donation of human tissue samples, organs, and DNA. And now the Chinese Communist Party has become the largest repository of USA, US DNA in the world. Um, they've also infiltrated the US healthcare system. They've been heavily involved in Big Pharma. I don't want to mention too many names, but because we have all the names. Also, Big mm. Tech, the multinational corporations. There has been a database that has been leaked as well, a $1.95 million, excuse me, $1.95 million CCP spies. There, and, 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 and all the, the names have been listed, especially with their ethnicity, their education level, their affiliate party branches, and most of the people on the list come from Shanghai, believe it or not, where all the lockdowns are. Um, and they have infiltrated into the UK, the US, and the Australian governments, as well as the multinational corporations, the healthcare systems, and the biotech firms and the big pharma, and they're involved in serious, serious crimes against humanity, particularly the organ harvesting trade. Could I ask you, um, you know, what do you think about the fact that the, there was quite a reaction against the Chinese government sending representatives to the Queen's funeral? Oh, yes. Uh, well, that's an interesting story. That's an interesting story. Um, the CCP is a mass murdering deceiver. They like to deceive the world. Biden as well. 
he's very much involved with the CCP as the cabal. I'm not going to mention too many names. I mean, I could, you know, because uh, I don't want Sean to get into trouble on mm. different platforms. But there are many Kabbalists, Matthew, that are working and colluding with the CCP. And a great book that I've just started reading, and I talked to the gentleman, Dr. Peter Bregan. He uh, wrote the book, The COVID-19 uh, um, Predator, and we are the prey, the predators. And he was announcing that many of the predators, actually all of the predators in this world, are colluding with the Chinese Communist Party. So as far as the UK Parliament is involved, and even Twitter, there are CCP agents and loyalists inside these branches of government and legislative bodies, like the World Health Organization and the United Nations, that are spying on the world and infiltrating, as, you talk, as we were talking about, Sean, and, and, and you know, um, uh, sending back to, to the intelligence to, to, to do the communist regime. Their tentacles are very much involved. So I hope that answers your question, not to, because I can't say too much, obviously. I realize that, yes, but I just thought, you know, it's very timely that, you know, with what went on with the Queen's funeral, it, it was very interesting how certain countries were allowed to send representatives and there was a whole question about China. Absolutely. And, and may I add, the World Health Organization just added the Chinese Communist Party to uh, as the executor to the world health organization and the united nations who they, they run four specialized units this is a mass murdering regime this is a dictatorship that has decimated five thousand years of chinese culture matthew and sean they've killed more life than two world wars combined that's not conjecture or hyperbole that is actually fact and now they're harvesting alive innocent people and fueling a multi-billion dollar business. But more importantly, how does this relate to the outside worldly and American and British Australian citizen? Well, the CCP's infiltration into their countries and the draconian policies that have led to these lockdowns are very much the CCP's policies in China. And this is how I've bridged it towards, you better be careful. And I sent you the video, uh, Sean, about if we're not careful as a, uh, a, a Western uh, normal civilization, we could fall victim to the very principles, draconian policies and totalitarian mandates that China is facing today under the CCP. I don't know if you have time to play that video, but it very much support the one China policy. We go there to acknowledge the status quo is what our policy is. There is nothing disruptive about that. It was only about saying China is one of the freest societies in the world. Don't but, take it from me. That's from Freedom House. Let's it's talk a, strong a little democracy, bit. Yeah. Courageous people. And, and it's it just, I don't know why it is, uh, except there's some commercial interests who would like to diminish uh, the relationship.
still support the one China policy. We go there to acknowledge the status quo is what our policy is. There was nothing disruptive about that. It was only about saying China is one of the freest societies in the world. Don't take it from me. That's from Freedom House. Let's it's talk a, strong a little bit. Democracy, yeah. courageous people, and and it's just I don't know why it is uh, except there's some commercial interests who would like to diminish uh, the relationship. support the one China policy. We go there to acknowledge the status quo is what our policy is. There is nothing disruptive about that. It was only about saying China is one of the freest societies in the world. Don't take it from me. That's from Freedom House. Let's it's talk a, strong a little democracy, bit. Yeah. Courageous people. And, and it, it's just, I don't know why it is, uh, except there's some commercial interests who would like to diminish uh, the relationship. Wow, that's absolutely terrifying, Mitchell. 
um, you know, and, and the viewers are like, whoa. So just picking up from last week, we, we can get to this video more in a minute, um, just to expand on what you were saying last week then. So the impression I got was that massive amount of money has been making from the transportation of the organs and it's people at like at the head of the, the military, there's the military's the Chinese military's heavily involved, government officials heavily involved, and the doctors are profiting from it. And the operations you have to like have the person has to be alive while they're being extracted and then I think you said that they, they were quite often the people were incinerated. But I think we need to expand more on what you said earlier, which was about big pharma and other US corporations being invested in this what what interest do they have oh absolutely uh well as i shared with you about planned parenthood involved in a 528 million dollar deal the kill to order of organs from fallen gong petitions and i reached out to the the investigators ethan goodman sean and david kilgore matthew and as well as susie hughes from the executive director of the end uh, transplant abuse.org it's extremely difficult to track the source and flow of funds because it's very well hidden. It's almost in these red envelopes and it's particularly, particularly cash driven. And um, they have these transactions that are dealt with particularly by the Chinese military and the Chinese communist regime. And it isn't a call to order. They have these massive concentration camps and huge victim pool of unwilling donors, particularly Falun Gong, because they don't drink, they don't smoke, their exercises are incredibly healthy, their mindset is very profoundly good, based on truthfulness and compassion and tolerance. So they were targeted for eradication by the CCP, and like I said, the, the majority of organs have been sold back to their own Chinese citizens, particularly because of the liver. The liver, the liver cancer rates are skyrocketing in China. There's about 8 million uh, liver cancer patients. And so on-demand organ harvesting is very rampant in China, selling it back to their own citizens. This is what I have been told by the investigation. The investigators. What, what, what do you attribute the liver cancer rates to? Cirrhosis and uh, liver, liver cancer. But, but, but uh, why particularly Chinese people now? Is there a particular no. reason that they, they've changed their diet or, you know, a more Western diet that, that has come into their country? Or, you know, that, that's something I've read about in the past. And, you know, people change, you know, different societies as they change their diet, then different, obviously, illnesses follow. That's very true. I am not really well versed in, in, in why the liver rates are so high, the liver cancer rates are so high. But I do know, Matthew, that after the CCP virus uh, was uh, commenced, the COVID-19, a lot of people got sick. And already, especially millions of high-ranking officials and cadres were receiving liver transplants and heart transplants and, 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 and lung transplants from living Falun Gong practitioners. Actually, the Epoch Times have done a great editorial uh, investigation on this exclusive investigation on this and Joshua Phillips from Crossroads as well about the origins of the CCP virus. We don't want to get too much into it because, you know, we, we, we don't want to get cancelled. But um, I hope that answers your question. But if you go to end 
transplantabuse.org uh, and Ashley's done a phenomenal job in sharing the, the website in the, in the chat. There are reports about the, the, uh, the donor, uh, uh, the victims, not, the, the unwilling donors and where they're going, where they're coming from and why, uh, uh, or, 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 or the, the exponential rate of cancer, um, liver cancer patients that are requiring these, these, these organs. Why the liver cancer pa rates are so high, I'm not sure. I think I'll, I'll, I might have to come back on your show or, uh, or, or uh, Sean's show to actually give you a specific answer. But in the I don't report, actually, I don't actually have a show, but I, I write okay. about. But I could do an interview with you, and I'd be a pleasure. And I'd love to know more about what you think about Nancy Pelosi because uh, she was my uh, uh, friend of mine's neighbour, and I got to know she, Nancy many years ago in San Francisco. And I can tell you, she's the neighbour from hell. Right, we're going to stay away from that. We're going to stay away from that for now. Um, <laughs> So it's interesting because, you know, being in the American prison system where there's been a hepatitis C epidemic and the prisoners are just commodities, basically. They, they get $60,000 a year per taxpayer's money, the prisons. So you've got some of the buildings I was housed in, two-thirds of them had hepatitis C. And it was so advanced, you know, several of those people have died since then because the prison didn't want to spend the $30,000 a year on interferon to cure it, it would have bankrupt the system. So I associate liver damage with hepatitis. Is, has, has hepatitis, is, is that an issue in China? Exactly. That is the reason why the 10,000 organs that the Chinese Communist Party, Sean, has said are the only organs that they have harvested and then they banned organ harvesting, which is an absolute lie. It's deception and it's just not true. That's the reason why the, the numbers don't add up. Because when the investigators were actually confirming the allegations that between 2001 and 2006, 45,000 to 65,000 Falun Gong practitioners were harvested for their organs, they, were, they, they, they looked into the 10,000 uh, uh, transplants that the, that the CCP supposedly said existed. But it didn't make any sense precisely for what you said about the hepatitis that causes the liver to decay. So these, the, 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 that was impossible, and the number of transplants that were, con that were conducted, particularly between 2001 and 2006, were skyrocketing higher than the 10,000 transplants that supposedly the CCP have conducted by on prisoners that have precisely had hepatitis uh, and liver cancer. So there's no way that those uh, and bad lungs and, 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 and bad just liver disease, heart disease. So, yeah, uh, uh, it just didn't add up. So that's uh, that's my that's my, my response to that. And you've got a the CCP working with the Mexican cartels now. What's going on there? Oh, that's another story. Uh, David Asher, uh, a former State Department, and I'm glad that you brought this up. A, a former State Department official um, uh, who talked about the drug cartels in the CCP. We have, they have been seeing, not we, because I'm on the border of, uh, close to China, so I'm dealing with the CCP and the organ harvesting here. But what he said nails it, based on my investigative research as well, in terms of fentanyl and other synthetic drugs that have been pushed by the Chinese Communist regime with the drug cartels. And now the drug cartels have created and manufactured their own fentanyl based on what the CCP has given them, the, the, the ingredients. But listen to what he said. This is David Asher, a former State Department official, about the relationship between the drug cartels and the CCP. You've got to understand that none of this could work without the Chinese government's involvement. 
So we're not just dealing with drug cartels in a Chinese triad here, which are the version of drug cartels in China, Asher said. We're dealing with the Chinese Ministry of State Security, the united front part of the Communist Party. They are organizing the fentanyl shipments to Mexico at the same level, and at some level they're involved in manufacturing and doing it with the goal of killing American kids. And then they're having Chinese students in the U.S. pick up the drug money. And you know what, um, uh, uh, Sean? I actually received something. I wish I had it for you. I'm not sure where it is. But it, it, it was a fentanyl shipment that was seized into America, and I think it was about 24,000 tons from the Chinese Communist regime into America. They seized it. They just seized it, which is insane. Quite insane. Yeah, I interviewed a psychiatrist out of Canada, and he said so many people were dying of fentanyl, he wished they could just go back to the good old days of heroin. Yes. Well, that's... That, that's, that's you know, the lesser of two evils, but fentanyl has caused a massive death and destruction of the American youth, particularly, and the homeless in, you know, Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, uh, in, uh, in, in California, in New York. It's just shocking. It really is shocking. We've only got a few minutes left, Mitchell, so let's just go over the bioweapons component of this. Well, I'll tell you one, uh, one thing, uh, Dr. Naomi Wolf, okay, and based on her research team at dailyclout.io has confirmed, as, as our sources have confirmed, the CCP has infiltrated the American health system as well, Sean, and that the COVID injections produced by the CCP as we well. Gotta, we gotta stay away, we gotta stay away from anything to do with injections. Okay, okay. So yeah. the, the infiltration is huge. And to make, to, to just share how huge it is, and I'll, I'll go one example, um, it is, a spy uh, that was infiltrated into the United States uh, uh, Department of Defense. This guy who worked as a, as, a, as a graduate from the U.S. Military Academy at West Point now works at the U.S. Department of Defense in area of, of computer encryption. So, Sean, as, as far as the infiltration, Matthew, it is huge. But if anyone wants to go and learn more about what I've been dealing with and what I've been exposing and risking my life on, Please, it's all confirmed. It's nothing conspiracy theory. We're not. A, I'm not a CIA back cult. Nope. Cons- well, may, may I just say, you know, I was at university, the London School of Economics, and yes. most of the people I was at university with were rich Chinese, Singaporean, um, aside from American and British people. And, you know, one of my, the people who lived in a room next to me in my first year at university, his father was a finance minister in China. And he said, as soon as they're done with us, we're dead. Absolutely. That's, that's how they treat their own high authority people. So goodness knows what they tr- how they treat their low, lower people. Um, I'm sorry to say that. No, I don't know wrong words. But... but you know, that, that video you showed, terrible. And it's I shocking to, to see. Absolutely. And to, and to just add to your point, I know we don't have much time. The FBI, I sat down with them in 2005 when I received a death threat, when I was actually uh, uh, promoting. I was, I was the president of Amnesty International at one of the top 10 schools in the South, Georgia State and University of Georgia. And they sat down with me because I received a death threat. And I received uh, many uh, uh, testimonies from students from the student Chinese associations that have been infiltrated by the Chinese communist regime, as well as the Confucius Institutes to spy on 
Um, and, and, and we can get into the farmlands as well, while the CCP is buying massive farmlands. It is terrible. But if anyone wants to learn more about my work, uh, endtransplantabuse.org. That's not my website, but I just want to draw attention to all the skeptics out there. Trolls are trolls that you can't do much about there, Matthew and Sean. But end Well, I know a lot about that, and you do too, plainly. It's yes, awful people. Absolutely. Uh, www.endtransplantabuse.org to learn more about Falun Gong, a beautiful spiritual movement. If anyone's a yoga enthusiast or wants to learn more, because it's it's incredibly stressful at this time, a time of, uh, of day and night, and in, in this time, uh, people can learn about this at www.learnfalungong.com and also learn more about why it's been persecuted and targeted www.faluninfo.net that's f-a-l-u-n-i-n-f-o.net and i just take my hat off to you sean and your incredible show i'm honored to be on it and i'm grateful that you've allowed me to expose such evil and a voice of support to such a beautiful spiritual movement namely fallen god thank you thank you for coming on mitch i've just got one final question then do you fear that your life is under threat now i mean you're exposing something that's there's massive vested interests here, extremely powerful, got all kinds of weapons and intelligence agencies at their disposal. Do you, do you fear for your life now? I don't fear because I know I'm on the right side of destiny. And to fail to support what is good and to fail to expose what is evil is unacceptable. And I know as a man I could do what I, can, what I need to do. But I do have a child on the way and I have a beautiful wife that loves me very much. And that's the reason why I need to be careful. But I am, I'm, not in, I'm not in the UK. I'm not in the US. I am close to the Chinese border, like I said. So they are after me because I'm very outspoken, as you see, Sean. I don't hold anything back. Uh, the only reason why is because we have to be careful of the of the of the YouTube uh, algorithms. But they know exactly who I am, where I am, and I, I tell you, I will fight for my life to defend the good. Have you noticed that you're under surveillance? Oh, absolutely! And I pat myself on the back because the more surveillance I am, the more uh, more I know I'm doing a better a, a good job exposing these. Oh, these well, no, if you if you don't offend somebody by what you say, you're simply in the art of public relations. It's often often misattributed to um, George Orwell, but it's a very it's a great quote. Absolutely, oh. the more you get be the more you get demonized and banned and suppressed and hated, the the better the job there is. You know, you're doing a great job. I, I was banned from I, I was banned myself from Twitter for ten hours for offending Mary Berry. Oh, the boy. lady who bakes cakes in Britain. I can't believe Well it. done. Well done. That's what, means that you're a, that's what means you're a truthful man. And people should listen so, to you more. I even offended the woman who made the nation fat. Huge thank you. Huge, huge thank you for coming on, Mitchell. We're going to have all your links to meet you. below the video. And so it would viewers, be very nice if you could get in touch with me. I will. Viewers, please, please support what Mitchell's doing. The links are all down there below the video. And yes, just mind blowing again. So thanks for staying up with us and best of luck. Cheers, Mitchell. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, guys. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. All right. So now we've got another hour of Matthew oh. Steeples. So good lord, do you really just, just need another let, hour of me? Just, just <laughs> let me up. Just let me update Andrew. Andrew, Matthew mm. uh, just popped up impromptu when the other guest cut, his, his tech failed, and we started on Madeline McCann, and it went bonkers. There was so many questions coming in on the McCann case. We couldn't keep up with it. So I'm going to tell the viewers now, please keep posting your McCann questions in the chat that were not yet answered. 
and Matthew is here for the next hour. He's got three or four subjects he's going to roam over and mm. whatever questions come up, we will we will take, we will field them well, and Sh- Andrew will field Sean, them. Sean, do you... Do you want me? Do you want us sticking on McCann then? Because obviously Alex Belfield is such a big story right now as well. Where do you want attention? Yeah, I think because it left well, off. I've, on made, McCann, I've made. I've but made maybe pages, start. Start. Maybe, I've made maybe two start. pages of notes on your uh, Alex Belfield. Who I maybe didn't know maybe that start on Belfield and then just just whatever yes, questions come in. Yeah. Um, go with them. All right. Uh, get right. See, right. See get out of here, you. Yeah, I feel like, I mean, Alex Belfield's such a massive story right now. Everyone's talking about it in the UK, of course, around the world. I almost want to keep saying the word, Alex Belfield, Alex Belfield, because it'll get well, people good interested. First. Good evening and hello. Hello, mate. How are you doing, Matthew? You know, I think, uh, I, I, I have to say, I didn't know that much about this man. I'd heard of him. Hmm. Obviously, sure. you know a lot more about him than I do. But I have a similar situation from the past yeah. where... Um, a man called Viscount St. David's went to prison um, yeah. for similar type activity to do with myself and the lady called Gina Miller, who took Brexit yeah. to the Supreme Court. But um, having this afternoon spent some time looking this man up, I wasn't that impressed. I don't know what you well, think should we... of him. Yeah, but should you, we? So I'm not, you begin I'm not... with, you begin with, you, I, do you know him? Or I, I, no, I'd, I'd, I'd never... I'd never heard of him. I don't know him. I, I know I've chatted over the years a little bit with Ian Lee, who has been, you know, one of the well, victims. He was one of, of the victims, but he didn't, yeah. he didn't pursue it. No, well, well, he he's he's guilty for, for. I think Ian Lee is one of them that he's guilty about, isn't he? Uh, was he? he? And I thought he was one of the. I, I, um, he was one of the people who didn't pursue it. Why don't you give us? Do you want to give us a rundown, or do you want me to do it about who Alex Belfield is? Just uh, for well, those who don't you, know. You, why don't you describe him because you know more about him? But I, I've got yes, a, I've yes, you've made a presumption of- there. But yes, Alex Belfield. For those who don't know, YouTuber of the Voice of Reason YouTube channel, is ex BBC radio presenter and, and I think TV presenter as well, um, and a little bit you know on the free speech side, like we are, many of us are, but also a little bit right wing. He's been doing sort of comedy gigs with uh, somebody called Katie Hopkins, who's also a bit far that way. None of those things are, are necessarily problems or anything like that. But he has been stalking. Now, stalking, we're looking at a new... It's a its a new version, an internet version, I suppose, of stalking because it isn't the old sort of, you know, in a, in a weird coat hanging out at your street looking at what you're doing. This is a just harassment of emails reportedly and i know people say this is not true because they could only produce a few dozen in court or whatever reportedly thousands of uh well, emails where, that... where i will interrupt you is it went on hmm. from uh 2011 to 2021 yep. so you know that will involve thousands of emails yeah yeah so they, that's the thing so it's you know, thousands it's not, over the this years. is not over a period of days it's over a period of of nearly 10 years yeah well exactly and it means a few emails a day really because you you imagine with thousands it's just like email email but it's still a lot i mean as you were saying before you've received these kinds of things it's not a nice thing is it i have had somebody sent to jail myself wow was Uh, it for stalking then uh no if i can st david's he offered a reward via facebook to kill my friend gina miller a lady who took Brexit to the Supreme Court, and he he said, you know, he'd pay five thousand pounds, which was a very insulting figure to have 
you know, the pair of us uh, killed and he told her to go back to uh, Africa when she was from South America. Um, you know, he wasn't a very intelligent man, but the whole thing is very similar in that it involved social media. He did it via Facebook and it was very complicated because there was no law regarding Facebook. Um, you know, if you send a death threat via a letter, it's very clear. Yeah. If you if you turn up and threaten people, it's very clear. And as the judge in the case, Lady Arbuthnot, said, she said, you know, this is not something that I can easily deal with like I could deal with a normal death threat. And in fact, she said, um, she said, Facebook is not private. Social media right. is not private. And this is the thing about this Alex Belfield. He used social media to harass people and he harassed their children. And I yeah. think that's the big problem with him. And that's why he got yeah. five and a half years. I, well, I think you can elaborate more yourself on his actual crimes, but having watched and read everything I've done this afternoon about him, this is a man who, you know, Jeremy Vine rightly said, was it was like swimming in sewage to deal with him. Yeah, yeah, not nice. And we've got messages here, like this is from Red saying, boo-hoo, hurt words. But I think as you rightly point out, it's you know he's getting people's kids up and it's okay some people don't feel much sympathy for celebrities jeremy vine ian lee and that's a whole other topic we can talk about and it's not something yes. i agree with well, I, I, but don't some people don't. I don't particularly like jeremy vine i find his tv show boring mm, but that well, doesn't mean go. that you should abuse him um no. you know my, my friend gina miller was entitled to do what she did she yeah. took no, absolutely. Brexit to the Supreme Court, and many people yeah. didn't like it. Yeah. But she well, put look, her money where her mouth was and expressed her view, uh, but it did not entitle the Viscount St. David's to no. start offering people like the BNP and the EDL rewards to kill her. And they no. came after me too. And then he went to prison, and that was correct. And in this yeah. case, I see the same thing. You know, This man spent 11 years of his life going after other people now why would you want to do that it's odd as well i mean we, again we can talk about whether somebody should be arrested for what is essentially mostly words and writing and things like that that's a free speech debate but one thing i don't think is up for debate is that this is bloody weird behavior it's creepy it's not nice and 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 okay you can go okay we well, don't get arrested for not being nice okay but some of the stuff he was doing and I was, I was saying before that okay celebrity whatever so one of the main victims here was a man called ben hewis and you read yes. his his twitter theater and wedding videographer daddy to albie and ada you know whatever yeah, and, then I, um, and I, I responded to his twitter and he yeah, i mean that man was you know, his children were targeted. Yeah, yeah. Now, He's, this now, is, so this is the guy that some some people here are defending. And I know, like Sean said earlier, nobody's all bad. Very few people are all bad or all good. And I'm sure he has some redeeming factors. And I, I think he's probably, you know, released some inf interesting and very important information about other topics. However, if you had a friend, if you had a brother, whatever, who was putting up videos with other people's kids in it, over a period of years with stuff like liars, contacting no, 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 11, the guy's wife. 11 years. 
11 years, contacting the guy's wife. This is just a videographer contacting his wife while the wife is pregnant, pushing her and pushing her. You know, so, the, so Ben ended up worried his wife was going to have a miscarriage because that's the kind of stress you get. It's not on. So I would like to, I'd be interested for us to take some comments from people, some, you know, on both sides of this well, debate. Could there. I just, before you do that, yeah, go on. Just Please say, do. Well, the judge, the judge said this was a relentless campaign of stalking. There was no escape for the victims. He weaponized the internet. He intimidated the victims in many ways, much harder to deal with. He had an army of followers who haunted the victims, stalking, online harassment, distressing effects of mental and physical health. Some of his victims came very close to suicide. Yeah. That is no, it's not on. that is extreme. I have been through this when I've been targeted by the EDL. I had bodyguards for a period of time. I have lived through a similar yeah. thing, but not to the same it's not the same way as these people. But I had a very different situation because of Brexit. And yeah, you're in I people are entitled to attack me. Uh, people came up to me in bars and they would say, Oh, you're an enemy of the people. And you're involved mm. with that black woman, even though she's Guyana, she's South American. Um, you know, people came up with That's all these crazy on. things and I had to live with that, and I had bodyguards, and um, I can sympathize with the victims in this case, but they experience a very different kind of abuse because the, this man targeted their children. And I watched his videos today, and he's got these groupies, and then he goes, I'm here with my people, and he does all these Jimmy Savile kind of moves, and he does this thing with Katie Hopkins, and I've met Katie Hopkins, I found her quite an amusing woman in person, but but sure. again, she she and this Jack Monroe, they had a, that was another case of a similar type. But yeah. you know, and I weirdly met her with Peter Mandelson and Helen Lederer. That was right. the strangest meeting you could imagine. But he makes jokes about dwarves and um, you know people. Mm. They say he should be running the country. There's something these people that follow him. There's mm. something not quite right about them. Well, there'll be a crossover here of people who do follow him, so so don't alienate half the audience, no, no. Matthew. He's devoted fans, fair enough. But this man mm. has made a point of attacking people for the, with people's children. Yeah, and, yeah. and having watched his videos, and I watched five of them, so yes. I have watched a fair few, so I've watched over an hour of them. Um, you know, I, I think for a man who's educated to come out with this kind of nonsense and that he he produced on the 16th of september in blackpool which is only a few days ago before he went to prison a show called two gobshites live with katie hopkins a perfect yes. night out if you want to laugh at insanity of the lefty world they're not pc but totally lol well you know you're about to go to prison and why would you do that it's well, not, well, not to mention, you know, I'm not lefty, and I don't think you are either, Matthew. And and I, I just, I mean, even that joke, we're, we're not PC, we're LOL. What is that? A joke no, about well, initial well, abbreviation? I, I, I hate LOL, and I've written about LOL once because what does it mean? Laugh out loud, lots of love, uh, lots of laughs, lots of laughs. You know, it could mean many things. I hate, just I hate cringe, abbreviation, cringe worthy crap. Yeah, but what what a cringy joke! What a know, well, if that's then, the joke? We're not PC well, LOL. And, if he can go and do a show like that, you and I should get on the stage and do one even better. 
Bloody I hell. I mean, you, uh, we, we, yeah. we'd, we'd be actually better than the. I really found the man quite disappointing to watch. It, no, it really is. And and uh, But look, we've got a message, we've got a comment here. Stephen Ross okay. has just said five and a half years is ridiculous. We can debate that. We can talk about the, the sentence, of course, but it's only half of the amount of years. 11 that he was intimidating these people you know so Stephen how many years is the right amount when you're getting emails to your wife to your kids and all these kinds of things if it was your family would you feel five and a half years and I'm interested in your response Stephen because it's an open debate we can all talk about it yes, well, if it was your family would you feel that five and a half years was too well, much well I, I would like Stephen to know if he thought that 12 weeks was acceptable for the Viscount for offering a reward to kill me and Gina Miller yeah no absolutely right I'm, because uh, 12 Mr. weeks Hines was, and, and, and Lady Arbuthnot, when she gave the sentence, said, I'm very sorry. I wish I could have given more, but because of the situation of the ruling mm. on, on social media. And actually, this is the bigger debate here. Twitter yeah. makes a profit of over several billion a year. And they have no accountability. It took six months in my case with Gina Miller yeah. to get Facebook um, to supply records to prove it was Viscount St. David's. Yeah. Well, here's, a, here's an no interesting account, point. There, there is and... no accountability of how these people use these channels. So this this Belfield man used his YouTube and all the rest of it yeah. to harass these poor people and their children. And Yeah. Um, but here's an interesting... 11... Matthew, I want to get. I just, just want to get the audience here. Let's. I wanted because okay. this is something I'm always concerned about. You know, is I'm concerned. I'm worried. Interested in whether there is ever something that shouldn't be said. Do we want total free speech? Don't we? Is but where is bullying too much? Should bullying be taken down? Should social media platforms intervene with what they perceive to be either bullying or race or racism or whatever? Or, or, or is that a dangerous, slippery slope? So I want to, one, if you think that the social media platform should, even if just a tiny bit, should intervene. And a two in the chat, if you think they should never intervene, it's like a free market. These are just words they can't hurt kind of thing. And I, I suppose we can have a three if you're sort of in between the two. Okay, well, I'll give you an me. example. Yeah. I got banned for 10 hours from uh, Twitter um, yesterday. Mm. For insulting Mary Berry. Yeah, well, you're a scumbag, Matthew. And I don't like Mary Berry because I know you love a cake, but um, I knew Mary, it would get Mary Berry isn't uh, a favourite of mine. But that's Matthew's that. always trying to give me alcohol whenever <laughs> I've met him, which is once no. in real life. And I was like, "Listen, so, mate, I, I, well, so I've once tried to give you alcohol, and you <laughs> and, you, and you've once asked for a cake." <laughs> so, and I said. Uh, I'll have a cake, thanks. I get very bad hangovers, even from one. And I would have given beer. you a cake if I could have got one, but in that hotel there wasn't any available. <laughs> well, there you go. Steeples anyway. is being a mouthpiece, says Stephen Ross. Well, I'm still awaiting Stephen's response to what I was putting to him. If it were your family, if it's your children that are being sent on photos with liar written, and this is what Ben Hewis said. He said it was one of his favourite photos of his toddler, and now he's had to see it with liar scrawled all over it. I mean, again, imagine it being your kid. It's, it's not on, but it is an interesting debate. At what point is that sort of bullying illegal? And that's that's the interesting thing. Well, I I agree with you, to be honest, Andrew. And I I, I think that the, the person with the comments, uh, you know, he's entitled to his view, but um, you cannot go around attacking people's children and you cannot do it for 11 years and think you're going to get away with it. 
Yeah, again, Beer Viking writes, so getting some attacks here. Should you two be arrested and convicted for all the false news you spread regarding missing children royals and stuff? I mean, what are they on about, Matthew? Um, uh, do I, do, by, by um, revealing news about Ghislaine Maxwell, uh, GM, uh, um, maybe, I don't know. I don't know what, they, they think that I'm a but, danger to the royal family. I'm a big supporter of the royal family, actually. I, I think the, the handling of the Queen's funeral was fantastic. I was a big supporter of the, the way the nation yeah. behaved. Um, well, so whoever this person is, can they're entitled to their view, but I yeah. don't agree with it. Yeah, well, they won't be arrested for their view and we won't be arrested for our reporting. But if uh, Matthew or I were to start emailing these people, you know, thousands of times over 11 years with pictures of their family and, and, and encouraging our followers to go out and physically and verbally abuse them, then perhaps we would be dragged into court. I think you're quite right. It's, uh, it's not something I would do. Now, you know, I run a publication. Every day, mm -hmm. people write to me. I've got one that writes to me every day to tell me Rolf Harris is innocent. She's been writing to me for 12 years. She tries to get me arrested along with many other people. Um, she's got a deranged name. She's, um, she's, she's completely bonkers. And I've had to put up with this. And I, I've, I've had a lot of this over the years. And the, the whole Gina Miller thing was the biggest one for me. But I think in the case of this poor victims of this man, Alex Belfield, yes, those poor people have been put through hell. Yeah, and yeah. Those an interesting point people... from from Nick he uh, Hemphill, who says the guidelines for the offences brackets I've read them. Good on, good on you. Uh, put it in the lenient to medium level. The judge had the option for longer, which has been given for a Cheshire man. So there you go. It could have been a longer sentence. Look, this is five years that those guys, we're talking Jeremy Vine, we're talking Ian Lee, but we're also talking Ben Hewis and people you might not yes, have heard a, of who are not celebrities. A, They've got their Bernie, lives back. Bernie Keefe, uh, there, there were other people he, he was involved with, Rebecca Breen, Liz Green, Stephanie Haast, Helen Thomas. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. this went on yep. for a very long time with lots of people. And... He, he thought it was all a bit of fun. And, you know, the way he no. watched his videos, uh, I didn't find them funny. I thought they were creepy. I thought yeah. they reminded me of Jimmy Savile-type behavior with all this, come on, come on, let's be having you and all this sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And his, you know, his swaying. That's <laughs> a low blow, the comparison, isn't it? He, he made jokes about dwarves. One yeah. of them shouted, you should be running the country, man. You know, it's, it's lavatorial humour. There's a lot of yeah. anti-Jewishness in it. It's, it's, yeah. There's a lot of anti-vax, you know, there's uh, whatever he wants to be, arm-swinging groupies. And then he yeah. said, the one thing I did notice, the Church of Belfield, he called it. On one mm -hmm. video, he said, come to the Church of Belfield. And I thought that was a bit, a bit creepy. Cult leader. You know, uh, well, listen. One, of them, one of them called Ian Lee. He said, I liken him to Charles Manson. Yeah, well, Ian Lee is the one who was getting it from him. You know, he's getting yes, it. So he's he, a bit cult leadery, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I would just say, I mean, what you're saying about his humor and stuff, I'm Jewish myself. I'm offended by anti Jewish humor. But is it illegal? Like, no, maybe I, it is a racist thing. I don't know. I don't know the law on that. People make jokes about, you know, all sorts of us. You know, I'm. I get jokes about me. I don't care. And you don't, you get jokes about you. And we, we, we all mm. tolerate a joke to a point. 
But the emails, that's what it was. It's the harassment and all that stuff, isn't it? That's what's, you know. He was sending emails over 11 years. Yeah, yeah. And MacB43 writes, when is it bullying and when is it mental illness? Is the implication, MacB43, that that, uh, Alex Belfield has a mental illness? Because it it does come across that way. A lot of people are saying textbook narcissist. What do you reckon, Matthew? I would say the man is a definite attention seeker. Mm. Um, he, he and Katie Hopkins have the same characteristics and I have never met him, but I have met her and I've had quite an interaction with her over the years mm. until, until she went completely bonkers. But, um, some people think she's great. I'm sure still, but, um, I can see from having watched him this afternoon exactly what I saw in her, and that is just attention for the sake of attention. And yeah. there's no quality beneath it. There's no there's no story. There's no reason to help somebody else. There's no reason to do something positive. It's mm-hmm. just belittling other people and ruining other people's lives. And yeah. You know, hate is well, hate is a terrible thing. Why not yeah. have some well, love? Look, people, people are still saying emails is not throwing rocks through the window. People are there are some people who are on board with this saying what a nasty guy is. I think we need to separate two two things. It's very important to do that, and we, because otherwise we talk at a crossroads with the people who are watching. One is whether this person is a nasty person or not, and and that is not illegal to be a nasty person. You can be a nasty person, but no, it does enti- beg the question. He is entitled uh, to his views. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it does beg the question with, with his nastiness about why so many people are defending him to this point now that so that's when we're talking about the nastiness we're going look this is not somebody who's a particularly nice fella the second point is totally separate it's whether he needed to be locked up now personally i don't think we should be locking up uh any non-violent criminals that's just my view everyone has a different view on that i think there are different ways to do it however firstly this is at least this is going to be five years that those victims are not going to be getting those horrible stalking harassment things from him and the other thing is he was sending you're saying an email isn't a rock through a window well it is when one of his four hundred thousand followers on youtube turns up and murders them or something which has happened we have evidence for that happening over and over when people you know they get their followers to go what about what about emily mate emily mateless what about her well emily mateless has had a stalker of a similar type and repeatedly he's been warned and warned and warned and warned and he doesn't stop and now he's in prison Mm. and they don't stop because these obsessive types do not stop until someone stops them unfortunately because they have a problem yeah, and yeah, I yeah. think this Mr. Belfield man, having watched about an hour of his videos, you know, he sits on his lavatory making all these jokes and he puts on a big nose trying to make an anti-Jewish joke and right. he does this. It's all attention-seeking. Now, right. there is some reason for doing that and that's because he's desperate to be noticed. Mm. And fair enough... Some people want to be noticed and loved. Some of us, some people would rather be under the radar. Now, we've chosen to put ourselves above the radar because here we are talking about things. But we don't go around offering to attack people's children, do we? 
No, well, absolutely. The and there's, there's someone saying, do we have copies of the emails with the children? There's there's so much over such a long time, but I did just find well, that's what he's been convicted of. I found a well, exactly, and I found a video where he he did put up pictures of this this videographer's uh child and him with like liar and all this stuff all over it uh and so it's just it's, it's not called a, doxing I, and on radio 4 this morning they talked about it you know when you give out people's addresses and you encourage people to go and attack their houses i had it from the edl the bnp and i had security guards i have been through this i have lived through this and i have lived through being physically attacked in a courtroom. I was kicked in the courtroom mm. in front and I had a police officer sat next to me. I have lived through it. So I understand this. And I don't appreciate people who come out with any nonsense about this. So well, there we go. Yeah, there you go. Right. I, we're going to move on now back to uh, the McCann stuff. So tell me, Matthew, just give me a bit of a summary on what you and Sean were talking about before. Uh, well, uh, and, sure. and can people in the comments do send in your questions we're getting back onto Madeline McCann and the, late, the latest stuff there so send through some uh, questions please so the McCanns um, so basically um, there has been a judgment in the case against um, the, involving the McCanns and the Portuguese government and the McCanns accused the Portuguese government of um allowing their their privacy to be intruded upon but they lost so basically the police officer goncarle amaral has been proven correct mm. do you believe the couple mccann's old friends who came oh no i've lost it i got it back <laughs> uh who came forward to police stating they witnessed one of the tape to Tapas 7 make sexual references about Maddie to Jerry while holidaying with them. That's from Srogan. Do I believe? I, I I have no idea. Don't know. I can't answer that. I don't know because I wasn't there. So <laughs> I've never heard mm. that reference. No. I don't know about okay, that. Okay, fair, fair enough. Yeah, I don't know about that one either. I'm just looking down through the questions. We have changed the subject, Banana Man. Right. Uh, okay. Have looked at. Have you looked at Peter Hyatt's statement about the McCanns? Asked Paul Ward. Um, no. Uh, I'm just. Your questions are—they're uh, not. Um, I'm just having a quick look through. Well, what we'll do is we'll chat, and maybe Ash can send me a few. Was Bruckner in Portugal at the time? According to the police, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a lot of people are asking about him, actually. They said the German P um, But the issue with him is he has not been charged mm -hmm. and they have not been able to make a connection and the German police even have said they are not sure whether they will be able to charge him. It's a really it's it's an interesting one that one and he's he's currently serving time in prison and he's also abused. He is a very uh, bad adults. person. He's a very bad person yeah. who has abused people of a range of ages, but most of them are older. Mm. So it's not oh. his typical type. Are the McCanns linked to UK intelligence? Um, I don't believe so, but. Um, they certainly have made friends with a lot of very powerful people. Mm, 
okay. Well, Mostly in the years been. after their child disappeared. Right, yeah, not beforehand then, but or maybe. They could have known people before, but the majority of the people they knew came afterwards, I would suggest. Mm. I don't I'm not a I'm not a conspiracy theorist, and I will always keep saying this, you know, and I have yeah. met them, I've spent time with them. I don't believe in conspiracy. I don't know what happened. I can't prove it. None of us can prove it. But mm. the thing that I will keep saying is the story doesn't add up. Right. Well, fair enough. Why? Well, one of the reasons for that might be what Sharon's alluding to. Why was the cadaver dog signalling not taken seriously? Um, because um, I think it rather suited the narrative of the British police, the Metropolitan Police, and I don't have any faith in the Metropolitan Police, as many people know. <laughs> Yeah. No, absolutely. Look, what are your views on this? Is and this is a hard question to ask. I'm like we've talked about Madeleine McCann over the years with you, of course. You know, is she dead? I believe Madeleine McCann died that very evening. Yeah. I do believe what, what, what makes you believe that? Um that the Cadavar dog sensed death in the cupboard, that there was a sense of death in the car, that no body's ever been found. Um that rewards of millions of pounds have been offered by uh, public and private money including you know philip green richard branson um you know 14 million pound investigation uh that nobody can find a child that has a wonky eye if you so can't find it somebody would trade somebody in i know how the criminal world works because i do know a few criminals i admit I know people have been criminals in the past, and you know everybody has uh, everybody has a price. If this child were alive, it would be eighteen today. Somebody would say, "Here it is," because yeah. that child has an eye that's distinctive. You can't hide it. If you dyed its hair red, green, purple, you wouldn't be able to hide it because it would still have the wonky eye. Hmm. It wasn't wonky, was it? It had just little colour. It doesn't look normal. Hmm. So so it would be easily identifiable. And all these times they have these stupid stories, in the, particularly the sun, um, and they say, oh, well, there was a child spotted by uh, speaking German in a supermarket with the, with the eye. Never found. And they never named the source. So it's always one of these unnamed source stories. Yeah, yeah. It's almost surprising you know, that nobody's come forward thing. and tried tried to pass themselves off as her. Um, well, I don't know. They probably have, but I don't know about that. Yeah, yeah. Well, what about, I mean, look, if the... the, the we seem to believe that she probably died that night, which is it's terribly sad. Another question would be, you know, all that money, should that not be spent on more recent cases? Well, this is what I've campaigned for for many years because I deal mm. with many other victims who are missing. Um, you know, and Kerry Needham, the mother of Ben Needham, she gets no help because, and she came from a council estate. And then, mm. you know, there is a, um, there's, there are other people I know. And, you know, I, recently I was involved, somebody, a friend of mine went missing and, Thankfully, he was found, but you know, mm. you, they get no help. 
and the McCann case has been allocated 14 million pounds from Operation Grange. And I checked out the website for Operation Grange yesterday. It still says, we continue to fund Operation Grange. That is a disgrace in my view, because and my friend Sir Benjamin Slade, who's a bit of a controversial character, probably seen him on This Morning or all these types of programs. So we come to Philip Schofield later. Um, but but, oh, yeah. but Sir Ben has been on there about other things. But, um, you know, it's, 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 it's wrong that one case gets all this money and there are thousands of people missing. And why do you think it is? Is it, is it as you say, it, to it was a network? It hmm. suited the time. It suited the time. So it was just as every 10 years you have a case that, that grips the nation. You know, it had been um, Jamie Bolger. Bolger, sure. And, and it, this was just as the end of the premiership of Tony Blair came to an end mm-hmm. and Gordon Brown came in. And it suited their narrative. It was the time of elections. So it was May 2007, May the 3rd it happened on. And then David Cameron took up the mantle, then Theresa May. It's that they had, Theresa May gave a party as Home Secretary in Downing Street for the McCanns. Is, so is it about their connections? Were, no, but, but they, they've been able to utilize their connections. But, you know, the, the, a couple of days after their child went missing, they went off to um, have um, vodka and risotto with Clement Freud, mm. who, was an, who was subsequently named as a paedophile. Mm. He lived in Prior de Luz. What you are know, you suggesting, though? What am I suggesting? They, they, they were very good at building connections. Richard Branson... David Cameron, uh, Philip Green. There was some double glazing tycoon from the north of England. He paid for a lot of it. Um, Esther McVeigh, who was sub- subsequently a very powerful conservative MP. She used to be a, a good morning presenter or this morning or whatever you call it. You know, they, they were capable of bringing in everybody. They had very good connections. The Pope, Barack Obama. They met, they met the lot. Sir Christopher yeah. Mayer, former ambassador to Washington, his wife. Well, well, well Matthew, you, know you can't what? blame them. You can't blame them for doing that. I mean, if my child went missing, I'd be, I'd be trying to do everything I could in that sense as well. But but what? But but these people didn't achieve. They didn't achieve a thing. They didn't no. get anywhere. So what was this all about? Why did yeah, they go well, running? Why did they go running in the days after their child went missing? You know, most people go out looking for the child. Why did yeah, they? Yeah. Why did they um, wipe their phones? You know, all sorts of questions, and they, and I always ask the questions in all my articles. I've I've been very transparent. I've met them. I've, I I just have found them a very odd couple, but I don't know what happened, and I do hope their child is found one day. I really do. It would yeah. be a wonderful thing if the child is found. What a day that would be. What a day. Was, do you I, think that there's a chance that uh, the German suspect, Christian Bruckner, was, was a, uh, a distraction of some sorts? 
I think he suits he suits the narrative of keeping the whole thing going. That's all. Oh, okay. He 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 I, is. Yeah. The evidence doesn't point to him, and um, and Sean and I have spoken about the uh, detective Mark Williams Thomas. Mm -hmm. And Mark Williams what does Thomas he went. He went to Portugal recently with a, made a program in which mm. he he went there with a view to making the program to say the man was guilty, and he came back and said he didn't believe he was. Oh, and why not? Because he doesn't he doesn't think the evidence connects him being at the, in the relevant places at the relevant time. So is he it may a case, have been then... in the vicinity, but that doesn't mm. mean that he, he was actually there is it a case of just sort of you know every few years putting something like this into the media a bit of spin just to keep it going to keep interest up and, and at what point do you think that might fade away because she'd be 18 now is there a point where you know she could be 30 well, i think it is be... time to end this matter because with the with the judgment of the european um, court um mm. you know i think enough is enough Mm -hmm. Let's mm -hmm. let's spend some money from the British police on finding people who can be found. And I I, I gave a statement about this yesterday, and I wrote about it. And I'm yeah. I I have been very involved in this since it began, two thousand and seven. So I would say it is time now to spend money finding people who can be found, because there are plenty of people who are missing, who really need help. And the little old yeah. lady who gave her five pounds to in the post office to find Madeline does not need to pay for Mr. and Mrs. McCann's damages that they're going to have to pay to this policeman. And that's yeah. that's that's that's, that's how I feel about it. Yeah, no, and I think I think you're you know it's understandable you feel that way. And at the same time, I wouldn't blame them because because parents should do everything they can for the rest of their lives to get their kid back if it's possible but i understand your point as well other people shouldn't necessarily now no, be no, paying I, I, I respect their, their their right to continue their search but the public money should stop yeah. the operation and, and what, range must stop what were the circumstances under which you met the mccann's um, I met them through the former ambassador to Washington, Sir Christopher Mayer, and his wife, who mm. had a charity for missing children because uh, she believed she believed her own children were kidnapped by her ex-husband. Right, right. And and did you was it a sort of sit down conversation? Was it a quick chat? What kind of thing? Um, I met them on several occasions. Oh, really? Yeah, you've got some contacts, Matthew. So, what kind of things were discussed when you did speak to I was them? In, Are they I, aware I, of your I writing? Was in, I was involved in. Uh, I was involved in the in, in the charity that was run by uh, the lady who is now known as Baroness Mayer, um, and she ran a charity called Pax. And then I was also involved with the Daily Telegraph when they did an expose on that charity. So, we can go into that another time. So. Sure. long story but um her children were uh, taken by her ex-husband and that's why she was interested in the mccann's i suppose yeah and her yeah, supporters no, were hillary clinton um sherry blair barbara taylor bradford the duchess of york she had a lot of supporters this this lady with her charity but 
the Daily Telegraph did an expose on the charity, if that gives you an idea of the matter. No, absolutely. But what were your just impressions, you know, sitting and having a chat with, with the two of them? Um, are, I, found, I found I found Miss, Mr. McCann very aggressive and I found her very timid. Interesting. Okay. So he was aggressively... What was he aggressively taught? I'm, I'm grilling you. I asked, yes, him a, I asked him a question and I've, I've, said this, I've said this many times. I've been interviewed about them many times. Um he, he, we talked about something completely unrelated to their child, and he got angry. I just found the man angry. I didn't like mm. his temper, but I found, and I could, I, I found her a bit, a bit scared. She was odd, huh. but that's well, all maybe, I can yeah. say. But that does not make them guilty of anything. I no. do not accuse them of a single thing. You Fair know, enough. But, but I would say, the story, the story of the whole matter. Just, it just does not add up. No. Well, fair and that's enough. my and, issue with it. And right. I'll ask you a little bit about that in a second, but we've got a super chat here. I just want to thank you uh, to Elena Stans Stansby. Uh, and, and, and she has asked, Tony Blair wanted to bring in uh, taking DNA digital ID for everyone. He said in public, if we had that Maddie, you know, the Maddie situation wouldn't have happened. I don't really know what that means. Do we, what, do we, well, just just that there's a sort of digital ID thing, you know. I think oh, that people pushed against. Mean everybody in the everybody in the world should have a DNA digital test. ID. Yeah. Well, it wouldn't have solved this crime because it would be too late. I suppose so. Yeah, it might have solved the crime quicker, or has actually solved it, but it wouldn't have saved. Well, if, life, it's, it's a bit like fingerprinting. If we'd had, you know, someone's fingerprints. Mm. Yes, if if they'd already committed a crime, yes, possibly. What going back to what you were saying about like things not adding up, what would you say is is the the most suspicious element of the whole thing? Um, well, I I find it very odd that they they were prepared to pay for childcare in the day, but they wouldn't prepare they wouldn't pay at night, and and the cat of our dog sent Steph in the cupboard. It's the sense of death in the cupboard, and nobody else was known to have died in this apartment. So, how long does that linger? I don't know, but the, the, the dogs were there immediately, obviously. So, you know, it doesn't really matter, does it? It's, it yeah. that would, it would suggest involvement, were... it would suggest involvement on their behalf, the parents. Well, I can't say either, I can't say either way, but I do find it odd. But I, mm. I publish on my website every time I do an article a number of questions, and people are welcome to read those questions. And they are, they've never, you know, why did they wipe the mobile phones? Why did they go for a run? You know, why was the mortgage of their home paid for by the fund? Yeah. It's you know, a very difficult case to speculate on because we're talking about the death of a child and, and the biggest loss that parents can face. And it's one of those things where typically, I suppose, you would want to speculate a little bit more about some of these things that don't add up. But you're also very cautious because, you know, in, if you're not right, I'm not it's accusing, one hell of a thing. I'm no. not accusing them. No. I am no, not I'm saying, saying it's why it's so them. difficult to cover. It is quite possible that somebody else got into this apartment. I don't know. But I can tell you the majority of these people that write to me via particularly Facebook, and Facebook is where the 
people who are obsessed with this story live. It's yeah. different to other cases. I find some of them, some of the cases I get involved in, it's Twitter. I'm not into this TikTok because I'm too old. But um, but no, the McCanns, these Twitter people, these Facebook people are very specific and they all have their theories and there are thousands of them. And yeah. I get a lot of information sent to me and look, I don't know it and they don't really know it. And we, we can't solve this yet, but maybe one day it will be solved. But yeah, it's one of these cases where it's highly unlikely anything will be found ever, I do, I do believe, because it would have been found already because of yeah, the amount of money involved. I wonder. I wonder if there are examples where. I mean, of course, there are examples in the world where where cases have taken decades and decades to solve, uh, and you know, yes. new evidence has come to light. Of course, that does happen. But as you rightly say, so much money and attention has been put on this one case that it would be quite remarkable for something to have been missed that comes out. Precisely. Later. You know, equally, you know, my mother had a friend who was murdered, who was a very wealthy mm. woman. I'm Sorry to hear. And she that. was shot with a crossbow, and I've spoken on this channel about it before. But Jesus, again, you know, nothing has ever been found, and all these podcasts and true crime channels—they're all very well, and they all can have all their theories. And you know, there was the case of the lady in, who was killed in the Jaguar, and I was listening to that on one of those programs the other day. Um, mm. You know, and all these people. Uh, Mrs. Bell was her name, and with even with cases where there was lots of money involved, you don't always get a solution. Sure, well, you, you, know, you, know what you does... think with money there would be a solution. You know what because... does sometimes happen is a uh, deathbed confession. Well, that's possible, yes, but but in in these cases there haven't been yet, have they? But I don't think Mr. Bruckner is the solution in the case of Madeline. Yeah. Do you want it to ask me like about it, Philip yeah. Schofield? I don't know. Well, first answer this question from D. Charger, if you don't oh. mind. Is it true the dog smelt the you know death in the car as well? In the higher car, there was a scent of death. Yes. Hmm. So the, again, the implication would be if we were to speculate, and of course this is only speculation, that you know they might. Well, the have, car came later. The car came later, so that would involve moving a body later. But anyway, I don't know. Well, a body, a body was definitely moved at some point by someone. That right. Would be the should, we, should we? Should we? Should we move to Schofield? So again, I just want to just sort of tell us a bit about what's happened there, particularly for the non-Brits here who might not know of the, a very famous name in the UK. You call him a very famous name. My God, you! <laughs> I'd say you're a bit well, over ambitious. I'd ho I would hope that we are discussing quite famous topics, uh, Matthew. <laughs> no, no, but I'd say he's not that famous. He's not that important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. professional theory, jealousy think. from Matthew Steeples. <laughs> I know it's not jealousy. I, I I I once had a row with him, so of course, I can't of course, stand you did. No, I don't like. Well, what, is, what did you row about? I want to hear that. Well, I met him at the Chelsea, uh, the Chelsea Flower Show, and he was trying to buy water lilies, and he pushed somebody out of the way. I won't say who, but um, oh, so this is uh, this is a common thing. He's a very rude man. Wow, he pushes people out of the way 
quite often. So the big story here... He's a TV. He's a TV presenter. A very, very, very famous. Sorry to annoy you, Matthew. He's quite famous on daily TV here. Well, he's and he and his, to you, his in your mind. <laughs> he and his colleague. Uh, he and his colleague um, Holly Willoughby. Uh, I don't really know in... who she. I'd never even heard of her before then. Right, right. <laughs> just, just for anyone who's not Matthew Steeple, anyone who's hit, these are quite famous names that we're discussing on this this show about the Zeitgeist. Uh, Holly, Holly Willoughby, and and uh, they, they pushed in the line to go and see the queen's coffin you know the funeral but they claim they didn't stuff. so temper that with you know they claim they didn't okay allegedly pushed in the line including the photos of them looking quite pushy in the line uh, and the videos the of them going past everybody else <laughs> <laughs> well look uh, is this a very this is the most british story of all time that we're upset about uh, line queue jumpers well my friend christine hamilton uh, the British battle axe, who was married to Neil Hamilton. Yes, um, Louis Theroux. She got, I, I, I don't know if you read my article, but she, she was outraged. And she used to go on their show rather a lot. And she told them off. And quite rightly so. And I wrote an article saying, well done, Christine. I think you know, mm. everybody else, David Beckham, elderly people who couldn't even barely walk, they all sat in the queue and for 13 hours. And, and this Philip Schofield, who's just a arrogant little man who who does bad things at the Chelsea yeah. Flower Show, um, he pushed in. And so now the public yeah. are outraged and they've started a petition. And then Holly Willoughby has started um, going to her lawyer or something. You know? Well, yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I think it, it was just, it, it was not the correct way to behave. And then they claimed and they made a video and said they were journalists. But I wouldn't say they were journalists. They're just gossip mongers who present a Okay, show. fine. But what, what was this not for work? Was this not for, you know, the public's benefit for them to be able to work and show this on TV? Um, there were already about 25 cameras there filming it. They didn't need to go to film it. They could make their commentary without that. Hello. Hey, I'm sorry, Matthew, but Anne in Canada didn't include you in this picture she just sent us. <laughs> Anne in Canada. <laughs> oh. Oh, what do you think of that, guys? Oh, oh dear. Well, I'm not. Well, that's not very nice. I look quite chiselled there. I like my uh, jawline. Yeah. Like what does Sean head. look like? He looks like something. <laughs> something. I'm trying to think what it. Oh, well, no, there's something that you look like. Is it like Mars Attacks or something? <laughs> or is it well, like Ross Kemp? Sign of your cake. It's a good drawing, to be fair. Congratulations to us. Much better than anything I could do, really. And something. in Canada, you've got ten, we've got ten minutes before the show finishes. You've got. Is that enough time to to add Matthew to this? <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I'm I'm quite happy without Matthew. Need to add res, with a resplendent orange sweater. Well, I've I'm been quite here happy for without. an hour and a half. I've been here for an hour and a half. <laughs> Did an extra hour over his Call of Duty. I think I. You know what? Jokes aside, I'm quite I'm quite happy without without Matthew in it. I think. It no, you're better good. off without Matthew me in it because it'll make a nicer what? Christmas card for you both without me in it. <laughs> <laughs> I just think it would be overkill. All that orange in there—it's just a bit. 
Except it's not that orange today. This is a slightly more red chocolate. It's like blood orange, isn't it? Blood orange. Yes, this is this is one I haven't. They came back from somewhere that I haven't had for a year and a half. (laughs) I'm sorry to interrupt there. You you were talking about uh, Schofield. Oh, good old Schofield. Yeah, no, no. The 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 man who grabs the water lilies. Terrible person. (laughs) Now, we don't like Philip Schofield. Oh, God. What did he do to the Sean, can I ask you a question? Did you, did you witness wanna... this? Yes, I did. Uh, uh, so did my mother. Who's Walter so, so so Matthew. Grab? Chelsea Flasher. He, he tries to stop other people getting things. He's a very rude man. He's a cute jumper. <laughs> man, Sean, in all your Ooh. years of knowing Matthew Steeples, have you ever mentioned yeah. someone without Matthew then having a story about how that person pissed him off at one point? No, <laughs> uh, not me. You should have seen him at the Crime Con the year before you came to Crime Con, Andrew. Yeah. Matthew had a crowd around him and like the amount of people that Matthew knew that he weaved into the conversation, it was nothing short of miraculous. <laughs> Oh, well, he's a connected man. We're lucky to have him on the show, let me say that. He is a very well-connected man. He's so connected, we can't even express the the magnitude of his connections because, yeah, (laughs) a little sleeper at that. (laughs) (laughs) People are going to think he's MI5 now. I know. Good. More conspiracy. Nothing wrong with that. Ratwood's fake lot. Uh, uh, We did did a... um... Why (laughs) that? It's a troll, isn't it? Why have you put we that did. up? You we, did. We, did. <laughs> we did a True Crime podcast with Matthew recently, whereby he talked about London's secret societies. Oh, that, did was, you see... that was a bizarre thing, yes. Yeah, it's mm. gone viral. It's, it's getting tens of thousands of views still. And I think... Matthew, you came on. I think that was another opportunity whereby a guest had a problem and you were just there in the shadows on the side. Well, I, I, I do fill in your problems, don't I? I think <laughs> you do what, Matthew? I think, think you owe me a nice nice check for this. <laughs> sounds like a, it sounds like a euphemism, Matthew. Uh, yeah, I've, been, so, I've been here an hour and a half. <laughs> but what, what I was saying was, when you fill in these spaces and it's unplanned, you're on fire, man. Because people were just mesmerized by your knowledge of London's secret societies. And it, I think you did, we did almost an hour on it. Well, that was, that was easy enough. I could have talked about it for a lot longer. But you know, the McCanns, you know, we covered that. That's an easy thing. Um, you know, but Mr. Mr. Schofield, uh, you know, I wouldn't say. I think it's. I think it's, that's blown out of proportion. That stuff because he's working. He's got to get in the queue. Well, I admire your defence of him. I find it very respectable and pleasant that you're so kind. <laughs> but I don't agree with you. I think he's a see you next Tuesday. If I put it that way, because <gasps> uh, he stole your flowers. He didn't steal my flowers. He stole my mother's. <laughs> oh, she well, was not enough. very happy. Anyway, my mother got them back. He got he got banished, and he got oh, very angry. Oh, so no, God. we don't really wow. like Mister Schofield. Your mum doesn't wow. mess around, does she? 
Matthew. My mother doesn't mess around. My father doesn't mess around. Nobody messes around. You know all the people I know don't mess around, don't you, Sean? I so, certainly do. Yeah. Yes, and I do know a few of them, but they're all nice people, really. That David oh, Beckham thing, I think, and a few people are saying this now. I mean, the Beckham got some bad PR a couple of times. Firstly, around that knighthood stuff uh, a few years ago, his emails were leaked where he'd been going berserk that he didn't get a knighthood. And then secondly, well, it was recently... probably Victoria, though. No, it was him kicking off. He's been desperate for a knighthood. And then secondly, his face being all over the Qatar... Uh, World Cup he's done you know like he needed more millions I love David Beckham he's one of my favourite players I'm a big football fan myself so he was one of my favourite players and he's fallen out of I don't know I'm not I'm not entirely happy with a few of these things recently so I do wonder if that was like he saw the opportunity there at two in the morning and he thought oh I'm going to go down be with the people now for a few hours and it's sort of well, I, way, will, I will you know. I, I will say to you I found it odd that he was standing with all those people who he didn't know yeah, a bit odd. What was he doing? He's because just, there was yeah. nobody in the background I recognised. There was no Dave Gardner or any of those other kind of friends of his. He, and if he decided to go at two in the morning, why didn't he take Victoria? Yeah, well, because it was a thing. I, she probably said, "What are you talking? What are you talking about, you plonker?" And he said, uh, "Victoria, I'm going down." You know, and I, it's just get the get the PR going back again. I think with with Bex, unfortunately, he wants yeah, he wants I, a night. I'm not. I'm not that. I'm not that suspicious about it, but. He wants but a knighthood. I, he was, I couldn't see anybody I recognised who was with him. That's all I'll yeah. say. That was a plea for a knighthood from the future king at that point. Well, the king. Well, he's friends with Prince William and he's got you know yeah. that, that angle. But look, I think he, he behaved. Look, he went there and he did it. And it's not the end of the world. Yeah. And it's not you can't shoot him down for doing it. Whereas yeah. um, Philip Schofield deserves a kick in the arse. Because <laughs> he nicked your mum's flowers, and now he's pushed in the queue. Uh, and uh, so, yeah. But I my think my the mother got me, them back. My mother got them the, back, and they were in. Well, the, fair the, enough. The water lilies were in her pond. You know, she got the, them. The, so the problem for me with the with the queue jump the queue jumping isn't that you pushed in the queue because I do think journalists have to do their job and their job then is reported to the rest of the country. I do think they've got to do that. But from all accounts, by all accounts, he didn't even say, "Oh, you know," because I would have gone in and got, "I'm so sorry about this," like you know, and chatted to the people behind me for a little bit because he's a very famous name, Philip Schofield, and people behind him would want to have a chat with him, wouldn't they? A very famous name. I knew it'd wind you up. <laughs> <laughs> He's hard. He's he's hardly Anthony Hopkins, is he really? <laughs> <laughs> what a name that! You're right. If it had been Anthony Hopkins, you'd have run a mile jumping in the queue like that. Going, <laughs> I know. Uh, in fact, Sean mean... does a good. Sean does a very good impression, don't you, Sean? F Favela beans. <laughs> we've just we've just been sent oh. another picture. Let me see if we can get it up because we've only got. Um... <laughs> All right, and then we've got to have your. We're going to get your order to Anthony Hopkins afterwards, Sean. And then you're getting rid of me. Uh, <laughs> Finally. <laughs> tell me, Mom, when your little girl's on the slab, made your nipples hard, didn't it? <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that. <laughs> right. That really let me good. get this picture up. Um, mm. Here we go. Mm -hmm. Here we go. It's better have Let's steeples in it. <clears throat> it better not. <laughs> Oh, look, look at that one, Matthew. That's great. How much skill did that take for someone to bust that out in two minutes? They, they, it took them two a minutes. Very to talented do that. artist. 
Well, that's that just is... a that's a screenshot, isn't it? Is it? I think that's a screenshot that they've then they've then done something. They've put a filter on it to make us into like drawings. That, that, let us know whoever that is because if if you've drawn that, fantastic. But I think that's, that's either from traced. D, D Charger did that. D Charger. They've aged you on the right. Thank you, D Charger. <laughs> <laughs> right, I've got I've got one minute left to thank it's everyone, especially Matthew in his resplendent blood orange for doing ninety minutes tonight. You've been an absolute star. Please, people, go over to the Steeples Times, or you can stalk him on Twitter. All of his links are in the description box, as are Andrew Gold's. Check out his podcast, On the Edge with Andrew Gold. Thank He's you. He's recently interviewed a London He's definitely on the edge. Ten, who did over 10 years. <laughs> Huge thank you to all the patrons. We are now moving over to Patreon, and we have got Whitney Webb, one of our most requested guests. She writes for the Unlimited Hangout, Last American Vagabond, and has been praised for alternative journalism. She is coming on Patreon in 10 minutes, and she was the tip of the spear out of the journalists we interviewed on the Who Killed E case, you know, the guy who was suicided. And it's been a while since I spoke to Whitney, so I, I cannot wait. Final two guests on Patreon are Dr. A.V. Lube, and he is going to be talking about extraterrestrial phenomena. And our final guest of the night is Jim Lee, who's going to be talking about weather, geoengineering, modification, climate changes, pollution, privacy, and propaganda. So that is the final two hours of the night. Huge thank you for all the artists that have sent in the over to this evening's overlays. And we hope to see some of you in the chat tomorrow because we've got Billy Hayes. Put a one in the chat if you've seen the movie Midnight Express. Put a two in the chat if you've not seen the movie Midnight Express. Billy Hayes was supposed to come on. The movie was about him. It was a classic, iconic movie. Oliver Stone did it back in, I think it was the early 80s. And Billy Hayes has never done an interview of the length of two and a half hours that we, we did with him. That's coming out tomorrow. Just his escape from prison story is over 30 minutes alone. He was so passionate. He was on fire. And it's coming out tomorrow at 6pm on YouTube as a premiere. So yeah, we've got lots of ones and twos. It seems it seems quite fairly uh, um quite balanced. Quite balanced. Alright, so good night everyone. Much love and respect wherever you are in the world. Hey, good evening everyone. Welcome to section two of Atwood Unleashed number 74. And what a fantastic first section we had. Almost 2,000 in the live, which is the most we've had in a very long time for Atwood Unleashed. Our highest ever in a live was 50,000 plus back in the heady days of Who Killed Epstein when certain court proceedings, let's just say, were being broadcast. <laughs> so if anyone remembers that one, that evening. Um, so, speaking of those court proceedings, Whitney Webb is going to be our first guest of Section 2. Good grief. She just really broke it down, didn't she? The honey trap the history of honey trap operations going back a century linking it to the modern day 
honey trap operation of Epstein and Maxwell and Wexner. It just boggles my mind why Wexner has never been held to account, but I guess he is above the pay grade of the people who could possibly go after him. Way too wealthy, way too connected. CIA through and through. Don't forget it was Wexner who brought Epstein in to relocate Southern Air Transport into Ohio. Southern Air Transport, Air America, go back to Barry Seal. He was flying in the drugs into Arkansas with the protection of the Clinton crime family. Oliver North, Felix Rodriguez, well running that deal for the Bush crime family. So let's see if Whitney is almost 10 past. Let's see if Whitney is in the people. Let's bring her in. Huge thank you for all of your questions and massive thank you to Matthew Steeples who's in the house. That's twice in a row Matthew Steeples just happened to be in the sidebar when guests had technical difficulties. And Matthew just, when he's impromptu, he just is absolutely on fire. That stuff about London secret societies we did, we did recently. I found that endlessly fascinating. I had no idea he had all that knowledge. And he said earlier he could speak for hours on that. So perhaps we need to do London's secret societies part two. Hey, Whitney, how on earth Hello. are you doing? Uh, I'm doing all right. How are you? It's been a while. Oh my goodness. I got kicked off YouTube twice. They made me delete all the stuff I did with you as well yeah. as everything else on that subject. I had campaigns launched against me to destroy me, death threats, got called into the cop shop, got a caution from the police. The minute I touched the who killed Epstein case, my life just changed dramatically. Now, I imagine you've been through similar things. Yeah, well, censorship's been pretty bad for, I think, most people in the past couple of years, regardless of what you're talking about. I mean, it wasn't just, you know, for a lot of people, I guess it was stuff related to COVID-19, uh, but for you, it was not. So I think they just uh, took the opportunity to bring the censorship hammer around. I was deplatformed from Patreon, actually, uh, during this period. So I mostly got, like, financial censorship. I don't have a YouTube channel because I'm mainly a writer, right? So I don't really do... I have a podcast now, but I, um, you know, never went that route. Um, otherwise, I would have been kicked off too, because pretty much every show I, I ever go on is like off YouTube now. So, what reason did Patreon cite to get 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 you off the platform? Um, so it was about an article that had to do with uh, what was previously the Galton Institute. Uh, after my article, they renamed it to Adelphi. Uh, it used to be the British Eugenics Society. And I talked about how the developer of the AstraZeneca vaccine... Oh, you know what? You know what? Cause, 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 stop, 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 stop. Because we're on Patreon right now, this is uh, not a good avenue to go down to repeat this. So let's, let's okay. change the subject. Um, congratulations on your two <laughs> books. For the viewers who are not familiar with your work, can you just introduce yourself firstly? Yeah, sure. So uh, my name is Whitney Webb. I am a writer and a researcher. Um, I investigate stuff. Um, 
And um, I've written about a lot of other stuff besides Epstein, but I think most people know or learned of me originally because of a four-part series I did for Mint Press News back when I worked there in 2019. Um, I left there in the beginning of 2020 and set up my own website, which is called Unlimited Hangout, and have some other people um, that write there that contribute there as well. Um, and I've continued Epstein stuff since then. Uh, but you know, it's the, a lot has been going on in the world. So I've been covering other things as well. So it's not, hasn't been Epstein exclusive, but while that uh, was going on, you know, in, in January, 2020, I was asked to write, a, expand my Mint Press series into a book and I expanded it probably too much because it ended up being two books. Um, <laughs> but it was, always, it was always planned to be written as, as in, in like two parts. Right. So the first part is, um, sort of like the original series like i said it was four parts so the first two parts were sort of like pre-epstein history and then parts three and four were about epstein so that's basically how this is so there's volume one and there's volume two of uh, the book is one nation under blackmail um so volume two is about uh, jeffrey epstein leslie wexner galene maxwell uh, my deep dive on on all of that stuff and then volume one is sort of the um the prehistory that I honestly think is really necessary to understand the Epstein stuff, particularly if you want to understand the intelligence connections, because if you want to discuss, for example, um, uh, like the Epstein Adnan Khashoggi relationship, you had to know who Adnan Khashoggi was and what he did, right? You have to know about things like uh, Iran Contra, including to understand Robert Maxwell, for example. You have to know about the Promise Software scandal, uh, the Bank of Credit and Commerce International, BCCI, and all of these other uh, scandals in the 80s and, and before then, and also how sex blackmail in, in this particular network has played a role uh, going back to uh, when organized crime and, and U.S. intelligence formally teamed up um, in World War II, and what is uh, what begins my book, which is uh, Operation Underworld, which was an actual formal alliance between organized crime and U.S. intelligence. Um, so, uh, I mean, that's basically, uh, I guess, <laughs> the briefest overview of the book possible without getting into any details. Um, I didn't focus so much on the sex trafficking stuff when it comes to Epstein. Volume two is uh, about 500 pages. Most of it are the intelligence and organized crime connections you haven't heard about. Um, and it's it's much more uh, extensive than what I had even thought it was, <laughs> it was going to be, to be honest. Um, and it's it's a lot more than just sex trafficking. But I do talk about the sex trafficking. Um, and I think even there, um, you know, there's um, some things I noticed. Like, I think that there was sort of two parallel sex trafficking operations going on. So there's the one that everyone knows about. And then it seems like there were some women that were um, seen as a different type of asset. And so instead of being exploited and, and abused and dumped, they were um, educated or um, used as more sophisticated assets, I guess you could say, and became like girlfriends of or the wives of people in this network. Um, and those women in particular, when you ask them how they feel about Jeffrey Epstein, even today, they're just fawning over him. I mean, it's like night and day when you compare it to um, the Epstein victims that we all are, are familiar with. So I think, you know, even in talking about that, there's um, been some aspects of the case that just haven't really gotten a lot of coverage in general. I think one of the overall um, themes, though, is that Epstein was just as much a financial criminal as a sexual criminal. And so his involvement with intelligence involved a lot of financial crimes, money laundering. Um, and probably the most stunning stuff to me was um, the nature of his meetings at the Clinton White House. Um, 
which are nuts. So I'll uh, leave it there. I don't know if you want to get into anything in particular. Happy to talk about whatever. Okay, great. So let's go over some of the basics then before we get more heavy. And it was the deconstructing the war on drugs and mass incarceration is what led me to Barry Seal, which led me to Air America, Sovereign Transport, Wexner, um, relocation to Ohio and then Epstein. How did you arrive at Epstein? Um, so I guess I, you mean before why I started writing about him when I was at Mint Press? Uh, I think it was just to your attention. Yeah, I mean, it was, I mean, everyone knew about it when he was arrested, right? I mean, it was all over the media. I only really got interested when there was the the claim um, from Alex Acosta that he had signed off on the so-called sweetheart deal of Epstein because he was told that Epstein belonged to intelligence and to leave it alone. So I wanted to get to the bottom of those intelligence connections. Um, that was really the only thing I was, uh, you know, interested in initially, but it obviously expanded from there. And, um, you know, I've, I've pretty much written a, um, a book about Epstein and his, um, entire network, <laughs> uh, now, well, now I'm on the other side <laughs> of the screen. Okay. What were the most startling revelations as you began to investigate this story? Um, so I think it has to do with um, what I mentioned a second ago, that the financial crimes are are very substantial when it comes to Epstein and that there's been a, a I think, you know, I, I tried to scratch the surface of, of or really get into as much as I could. Um, but there's a lot of stuff that I think still has to come out. So basically, when you look at, for example, the relocation of Southern Air Transport uh, to Columbus, Ohio, which which Epstein and Wexner were both involved in for the limited, uh, that basically saw Columbus, Ohio become the new Mena, Arkansas uh, for the 1990s. And there was some really crazy stuff going on there. Um, and it's, you know, a, I'm of the opinion, and I, I detail this in the book considerably, that the decision to have Southern Air Transport move there is directly related to what Epstein was doing at the White House at the same time. And I say this because um, the Southern Air Transport uh, route, once it, you know, originally it was going from Latin America to the U.S. Um, previously, it was, or and, and by the time it gets to Columbus, it's going from uh, Columbus, Ohio to Hong Kong. So it's going to China, basically, and into the U.S. And so Wexner does have business interests in the U in China that you can sort of explain, right? But why Southern Air Transport? Well, it turns out that they wanted not just Southern Air Transport. Before Southern Air Transport, they tried to get connected with another CIA-linked airline called Aero Air. So it, it's like that airport is just totally nuts. Um, you also have in the mix there Executive Jet Aviation, which is the Larry King Franklin scandal airline. Um, and, um, I mean, it's just out of control, uh, personally, uh, I think. So Mark Middleton is the person that Epstein was meeting with at the white house most freak, at least most frequently with. And Mark Middleton was at the center of what is remembered today by a lot of conservatives as China gate. Uh, but it involves Hong Kong. It involves Singapore. It involves Taiwan. And, um, it's not, I think China gate's kind of a misnomer. It's really more accurately, accurately called maybe Riyadi gate for the family of Mokhtar Riyadi. 
which is, um, you know, like Jackson Stevens. Well, you were talking about Barry Seal, so I assume your audience is sort of familiar with the Clinton-Iran-Contra stuff. So Jackson Stevens is like a major force behind the Clinton family, and a lot of uh, the webs of his companies and all that stuff were woven through, like, the Mena, Arkansas story and the rise of, of Clinton. And there with Stevens is a guy named Mokhtar Riyadi. So that particular network of business partners is what's really at the heart of China Gate, and it looks like it was a massive um, arms trafficking operation and technology transfer operation with technology from the U.S. going to China. And it looks like that's what Southern Air Transport and the Limited was used for. And I talk about a lot of the other um, supporting evidence for that, what was going on in quote unquote China Gate and all of this stuff, and then the. Um, the details of the Southern Air Transport relocation and negotiations and all of that. And it's, um, it's a very unsettling situation. So, you know, when you consider something like the work of Gary Webb and Dark Alliance, right? And he's talking about how through Iran-Contra, this network was, was bringing in intentionally importing crack cocaine like into urban areas, it seems like they were importing cheap Chinese made weapons into those same urban areas to create that same chaos. And so that seems to be at least part of what um, Southern air transport when it was, you know, basically under Wexner's purview uh, was engaged in and people, you know, like Ohio's inspector general knew that it was tied to organized crime and intelligence and things were very sus suspect. Um, you know, and, and it's just a, it's really disturbing stuff, I, you know, and I don't, uh, I don't know how much more can really be found unless, you know, you get into subpoenas or people like decide to offer information, like based on the open source stuff, there's been a major effort to cover what was going on there up. And so I think that's part of why, even though, for example, last year, you have pictures of of Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell shaking hands with Bill Clinton in 1993 being published by the UK's Daily Mail. Uh, no one in mainstream media in the U.S. covers it at all. And they still act like Bill Clinton and Epstein didn't meet until after Bill Clinton was no longer president and stuff. Um, yeah, so there's obviously a lot more going on there. A really good indicator of that is that Mark Middleton, um, Congress was trying to investigate his role in all of this specifically in the weeks before, well, in the last years of the Clinton administration and the early years of George W. Bush. And then a few weeks before 9-11, um, George W. Bush invokes executive privilege for the first time. And when he's invoked, and he does that expressly to block documents relating to Mark Middleton by name. And Mark Middleton officially, ostensibly, was just a uh, aide to the guy who was then a special advisor to the president. He doesn't really seem like a big fish, right? And this is someone from the subsequent administration stepping in to cover his tracks. Why is that? Obviously, Mark Middleton was involved in something that would have been damaging to both the Bush and Clinton families if exposed. So that suggests it's the same network really in, oper in, in operation because the network at the core of Iran-Contra, I mean, obviously it involved both the Bush and Clinton families uh, in, in that type of network. Um, so um, that was probably the stuff uh, in writing the book that surprised me the most. Other things, uh, Leslie Wexner telling New York Magazine in 1985 that he's possessed by a demon that tells him what to do. Um, that was that was insane, uh, but it's real. You can go and look it up. It's called The Bachelor Billionaire, uh, New York Magazine. I believe it's August 1985. Uh, he talks about how 
Uh, he has a, a demon inside him that tells him what to do and makes him accumulate more wealth and power and gobble up business after business and do what he does. And that is around, um, you know, the same year that he, you know, linked up with Jeffrey Epstein, that his tax attorney was shot in the face. Um, you know, I mean, it's very hard to read my book, particularly the chapters on Wexner and not see Leslie Wexner as like a kingpin of organized crime. Uh, he's very clearly that. And he's untouchable because nothing's happened to him whatsoever, despite whatever. Yeah, and said. it won't. Uh, I mean, unless, you know, something really substantial happens. But, I, you know, with the current system, the way it is, there's no way they'll ever go after Wexner. So we recently interviewed Juliette Bryant, who spent two years with Epstein and Maxwell. Have you spoke to her? Uh, no. She said that Clinton was on the phone communicating with Epstein almost weekly while she was with them. And it, it, What it year was of, this? Um, I'd have to go back and research that. It's on my Rumble if people want to watch that, the video is on my Rumble. It's called My Two Years of Epstein and Maxwell Juliet Bryant. Uh, maybe Ash, my research who's watching, could, could, could check that out for the years, but I can't remember exactly. But it just blows away what Clinton officially said about having hardly anything to do with him. Oh, yeah. Well, that's because I think one of the reasons they, they won't pursue the Epstein-Clinton relationship is because of the, um, fi the financial stuff. So, you know, I, I'm sure your audience is familiar with Epstein and Steve Hoffenberg team up and they create this Ponzi scheme that collapses Towers Financial. And then Epstein's name is dropped from the case. And that happens in 1993. Hoffenberg goes to prison, but Epstein is basically going to the White House straight away. And the first person he meets with there, uh, he's brought signed in by Robert Rubin, who later becomes Treasury Secretary. But at the time, I think he's head of the National Council for um, Economic. I can't remember the exact name. It's like a sort of like a, a Council of Economic Advisors to the President. I can't remember the exact name of the the body. Um, but before that point, uh, Robert Rubin was head of Goldman Sachs, so he was intimately involved, if not in the execution of, but the the cover up or you know the fallout from Robert Maxwell's um, you know financial crimes, which involved. Goldman Sachs to a significant degree or Goldman Sachs was, you know, being blamed in the press as an accessory to those financial crimes. So very interesting to see Robert, Robert Rubin being the person that's bringing Epstein, you know, into the white house, because, you know, at that point, the relationship, uh, public relationship between him and Ghislaine Maxwell is already cemented. Right. Um, so after that, you have Epstein being involved in this donor uh, this fundraiser event that ends up making an appearance in Vince Foster's suicide note. So that's bizarre. Uh, well, quote unquote suicide note. It's widely believed to be forged and was pretty much written by Hillary Clinton. And the fundraiser was basically run by Hillary Clinton. She was supposed to be redecorating the White House with those funds. But you have people tied to BCCI, uh, people tied to organized crime in the Bahamas. You have Epstein. I mean, it's like uh, a real hive of 
of suspect people and to see it in the in the Vince Foster, <laughs> the Vince Foster suicide note is like pretty insane um, when you consider all the intrigue around that particular death and then he pops up again hanging out with Mark Middleton at the White House multiple times most of his 17 visits um, were with Mark Middleton and Mark Middleton is at the center of this Chinagate thing which the other name for it is like the campaign finance scandal of 1996 again around controversial fundraisers and then after being involved basically in the most controversial fundraisers while Clinton is president, Epstein's basically involved with the setup of the Clinton Foundation, which is the Clinton family slush fund, basically. Um, so what you basically have there is Epstein being a major enabler of Clinton family financial crimes. And it appears that he was involved with the Clinton Foundation uh, well after he said he wasn't anymore. And Ghislaine was the public face of like their involvement with the Clinton Foundation through like Terramar and the, the Clinton stuff. Um, and I say this because in, in 2012, um, Epstein gave testimony in the Virgin Islands. It was related to his efforts to establish this weird, uh, what he called a biomedical Google company. Uh, he wanted to gene sequence like all the people in the Virgin Islands. Um, but um, in that testimony, he says, uh, I do a lot of work in Africa. And then he says, Africa is the perfect place to experiment. So that's unsettling uh, in and of itself. But when you consider that Epstein has no public presence in Africa at the time, no philanthropic body tied to Africa. Uh, where does Epstein pop up in Africa? Well, it's the Africa trip with Clinton, where the Clinton Health Access Initiative was being set up. You have people in, uh, intimately involved with that on Epstein's plane at the time, along with Clinton. You know, most people focus on Ken Spacey and uh, Kevin Spacey and people like that on the plane uh, during that particular trip. But the the people that are relevant to the the Clinton health stuff, um, you know, are Gail King. Uh, era magaziner doug band and of course bill clinton himself and bill clinton before epstein's first arrest basically credited bill clinton uh, epstein with developing his you know the hiv aids stuff that was at the center of uh the clinton health access initiative so in 2012 how was epstein doing a lot of work in africa that seems to be the only indication. So I think they don't want to get into the Epstein-Clinton relationship really at all. And they haven't bothered to. There's a lot that could come out. I mean, mainstream people and mainstream media have resources. I'm a mom with an internet connection in Chile. <laughs> and, you know, I wrote a 900-page book about this stuff. Um, you know, if I had, like, resources and access to people, like, in the U.S., like mainstream media does, this would have gone a lot farther. So we were talking to Hoffman and we were going to interview him and then he died. Mm -hmm. Is there anything suspicious about his death as far as you're concerned? Um, so I'm not really familiar uh, with the exact circumstances. I know that uh, Maria Farmer has said that she requested a wellness check well before they actually went to conduct one, the, the local police where he lived. Um, but I'm not familiar with the circumstances of why she requested that wellness check it may have just been a lack of communication um the thing that seems odd to me is that he had to be identified by his teeth by dental records he was allegedly really badly composed decomposed by the time they found him but they also claimed he'd only been dead for a few days so to be that badly decomposed it's kind of you know but i'm not an expert in decomposition and stuff it is a little 
eyebrow raising to say the least um just because of the timing and you have earlier this year like mark middleton dying under very suspicious circumstances there yeah but with um with him it it's hard to know with hoffenberg to be honest because he wasn't exactly a young guy you know so matthew steeples is asking for your thoughts on the 500 million pounds looted by robert maxwell from the pension of mirror group newspapers uh yeah so uh what exactly what exactly about that uh just what i I, I think it was an awful financial crime <laughs> uh, but i don't know where the money went if that's what the question is i mean i think a lot of basically what epstein was doing or what, what maxwell was doing at the time is what epstein was sort of doing at towers financial you know moving money that moving money around constantly to create basically the illusion that you have capital and so you know basically maxwell by the end of his life was um you know, juggling too much, I guess you could say. And, you know, his financial empire was in disarray and they were trying to shuffle all these assets and different things all around and eventually got in the, in the, in the pension fund. Um, but there's a lot of different, it's really hard to know about Robert Maxwell's finances. He had a bunch of trust in Liechtenstein. He had tax havens all over uh, the Soviet Union or former Soviet Union, like Bulgaria, um, basically used the country of Bulgaria as his personal bank and stuff. Um, and so, I mean, he, this guy had money like all over the place, hidden all over the place. I don't, allegedly his children didn't even know where it all was, but I don't believe that. I think they probably knew because <laughs> uh, they were involved in a lot of it even after he was uh, he was dead so um you know as far as the as the pension fund goes i mean it's an it's an obvious crime and shows that people like this uh, don't give a flying f about the workers and their companies and uh you know sort of speaks to well i mean he's not the only one to have done this either including in this network i mean these guys dip into pension funds all the time particularly the people that are framed sort of as corporate raiders of that period and maxwell was in that category and there were a lot of people in that category that end up in this particular network like people like Ron Perlman, for example, ends up sort of in the Epstein orbit um, and hosts a controversial fundraiser that Epstein attends for Bill Clinton in 1996. Well, I think it was 95, but for the 96 election. Um, and he's a Drexel Burnham Lambert guy. Leon Black was there, also a corporate raider. You know, um, you have uh, James Goldsmith, who also has Epstein connections uh, associated with Robert Maxwell, corporate raider. All these guys engage in massive financial crimes all the time. And it's normal for them. Uh, Robert Maxwell just got caught and you could argue he only really got caught because he died and the whole thing fell apart because he wasn't there to manage to manage it really um, so you know the whole death of Robert Maxwell is also like a complicated can of worms too because we don't it's most likely he was killed but it's hard to know exactly who killed him and why so a lot of people think you know even Ghislaine right thinks it's Mossad renegades and that's sort of the narrative of Gordon Thomas and his book that it was like sort of a renegade faction in Israeli intelligence. It may not have been so renegade. A lot of crazy stuff was going on in 1991. You have the collapse of the Soviet Union. Some of the people that Robert Maxwell was closest to in the KGB uh, attempt a failed coup against Gorbachev. But Maxwell also had a friendly relationship with Gorbachev himself. Um, a bunch of people involved in the Promise Software scandal, aside from Maxwell, also die in 1991. Um, and you have like all sorts of stuff, uh, changes going on in that period. You know, it, it, he had his hand in so many pies, he could have easily pissed off 
uh, numerous people that could have collaborated in his death. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of unanswered questions, unfortunately, um, about exactly what was going on there. And from my research, it seems like that the, the Maxwell children, particularly like Ghislaine, did not uh, had a very different plan if her father had not died at the time he died, that she was basically acting as his ambassador, his emissary. And uh, she end up, ends up, you know, attaching herself to Epstein as sort of like a replacement uh, for her, you know, to be his appendage when she can't be her father's appendage, basically. Um, yeah, you know, because it seems like at the time Robert Maxwell wanted her to marry a Kennedy. And because he saw himself as like basically making a, a Kennedy clan, the Maxwells were going to be like the Kennedy family. That's all the stuff he wanted. And he was basically shopping her around to <laughs> different siblings of our siblings, different, um, you know, different people in the Kennedy family trying to get some sort of relationship established there. So that's the whole history of the, you know, well, there's a whole history there that I go into in, in, in the book um, specifically about the Kennedy stuff. Cause there's a lot that hasn't really been made public because <laughs> it, it, like us tabloids have pictures of her basically flirting with Kennedy men. And, but they won't say it's her name. They'll say like, it's a, it's a brunette, a vivacious brunette and all of this stuff. And it's obviously her um, in the pictures. And, and one of it is like the, the, the Carrie Kennedy, Andrew Cuomo wedding that Ghislaine Maxwell attended um, their pictures there. And she's like, you know, the caption makes it very clear that it was a flirtatious discussion with, I think Joe, uh, Joseph Kennedy jr. Something like that. So there's a lot of crazy um, stuff going on there, but it seems like Robert Maxwell was trying to like use her, you know, sort of like Royal families did in yesteryear forge alliances with other powerful families and stuff. I mean, he, you know, wanted to do something like that. So when he's out of the picture, I don't think she really knows what to do because I think he had her from a very young age. You know, he set her up with all the stuff and told her what to do. And their relationship is very, has a lot of very dark subtext. I think very weird stuff about control and sex and all sorts of weird stuff. And that father daughter relationship that wasn't really a factor, I think with some of his other children or particularly his other daughters. So, um, you know, it's, it's complicated. So since we last spoke then Leon black stepped down from Apollo in the beginning, people were like, you know, where did Epstein get all this money from yet? It was revealed that black paid Epstein 158 million for financial advice from 2012 to 2017. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, Epstein is a master tax evader. And so that's why these people, you know, I mean, they're basically using people like the Clinton Foundation, right? I mean, Clinton Foundation wasn't openly managed by Epstein, but Epstein helped set it up, right? And so you have the Wexner Foundation, the Leon Black Family Foundation, and all these foundations sort of you know, seeking advice from Epstein, even the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, right? You know, he becomes a, he comes he becomes a big guy in philanthropy after the year 2000, and at that same time in the early 2000s is when this new model of philanthropy was sort of going live. Um, sometimes it's called philanthropy 2.0, but it's basically. Um, if you listen to Bill Gates talk about philanthropy, he'll throw out terms like return on investment when he's talking about philanthropic donations. Uh, so it's basically what today is referred to as impact investing. It's not really philanthropy in a lot of time. And so it's like it just basically a new um, <laughs> way, way to basically conduct a business and expand your power and influence, but you're framing yourself as a philanthropist. I mean, that's essentially what it is. So Epstein was like a big guy 
in that particular scene. And it's not really surprising why, because if you look into what he was doing when he was at Bear Stearns, for example, um, in the late 70s and through the early 80s, um, you know, uh, he's he's basically advising the wealthiest clients of Bear Stearns about tax evasion the tax code specifically, and is an expert in taxes. Um, and then he gets involved with all this other shady financial stuff uh, throughout the 1980s, you know, this non Khashoggi stuff and a parent relationship with BCCI. Um, he claims to be a financial bounty hunter uh, hiding and finding looted money and all of this stuff. I mean, he's obviously a financial criminal because after that he gets involved with uh, Leslie Wexner uh, when Leslie Wexner has tangled finances, particularly around the new Albany company that he has to then go and helps Wexner untangle and then becomes Wexner's money manager. And then at the same time, he's setting up this Ponzi scheme with Stephen Hoffenberg and then goes to be a big financial fraudster in the political world with, with the Clintons in the 1990s. Um, and, and obviously there's other stuff going on in the 90s too. Um, it's not just the Clinton stuff. There's this big tech transfer stuff with Epstein, uh, Silicon Valley, Microsoft. It's very significant. Um, and that's where the Bill Gates-Epstein relationship, I think, really starts somewhere in the, in the 90s. Um, definitely not 2011, like the mainstream media says. And there's a lot of evidence to point that that is a bold-faced lie, that it was in 2011 for the first time. Um, but basically, you know, Epstein's essentially a, a financial criminal. So where does his money come from? It comes from financial crimes. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he's basically money laundering uh, on a massive scale and, and helping people evade taxes in a way that was, I guess, innovative. And it's, um, you know, obviously helpful to him. And made him very rich. And so this idea that it all just came out of nowhere, I don't even think it was all necessarily given to him by Wexner necessarily. I think some of it was, I mean, he uh, was a financial criminal, very good at, very good at it. And a lot of it, I think, too, had to do with this foreign foreign currency trading that he was always seen doing even after his arrests, um, you know, on computers and his residences and stuff. He was very involved in something odd when it came to foreign currency or forex trading uh, specifically and this even gets mentioned to bill clinton by one of his top donors lynn forrester now lynn forrester de rothschild who writes clinton a letter in 1995 that says basically that she was so grateful to have 15 minutes to talk to him about the two things on her mind at the time which were jeffrey epstein and currency stabilization and oddly enough, Lynn Forrester de Rothschild has a relationship with Deutsche Bank, which, of course, had very suspect connections with Epstein. And if you think about it, the only innocent person to die in connection with the Epstein case in recent years was the son of the judge that was going to oversee the Deutsche Bank uh, Epstein case. You have, you know, John Luke Brunel's dead, Mark Middleton's dead, Epstein's dead, and now Steve Hoffenberg's dead. But the only innocent person to turn up dead a connection with this is the son of a judge and basically there was a hit on the judge whether you believe the official story or uh, not it's very interesting that that popped up not on the the court cases involved with epstein's sex crimes but with his financial crimes wow this is absolutely mind-blowing i just want to go back to leon black again because yeah you said that epstein was doing this kind of financial advice but and I think Epstein's wealth was that's a quarter of his wealth, 158 million. Isn't that financial advice, quote unquote, just a smokescreen for him financing the honey trap operation? 
Yeah, so I wouldn't believe the official numbers about Epstein's wealth. If he's an expert in tax evasion and like offshore banking and hiding looting money, <laughs> what's reported on paper is very, uh, it's very unlikely to be like his actual net worth. Um, and I see in the chat that people are asking about the Lease family. So Douglas Lease, uh, who's a mentor to Epstein, obviously also involved in shady financial stuff. He was very involved in Bermuda, um, specifically managing the subsidy bermuda subsidiary of what's called the raxel group which appears to be tied actually to lisa's home in the uk that's raxel manor but it's not the relationship isn't exactly clear um but but that entity involved with offshore banking to a significant degree and of course bermuda is as well and that relationship i think the relationship with the leases is is very significant uh but unfortunately there's a lot we don't know about it um but there are some things we can glean from it and one other interesting character that's tied to bermuda is this oil trader named john uh, doyce or deuce i'm not sure exactly how you pronounce his name but it's spelled d-e-u-s-s and this is a guy that pops up with bear stearns foreign currency trading stuff at the end of the 90s in something in this particular software around forex trading that epstein's also involved with and around the same time one of the women that epstein in that parallel sex trafficking operation I mentioned earlier, sort of the elite women, one of the women in that tier that actually accompanies Epstein to when he goes to the White House on at least one occasion in the 90s um, is a woman named Frances Hardeen, and she's married off to John Doyce. And John Doyce is also um, a very key part of this um, this intelligence organized crime network that I talk about in the book that ties in directly to Epstein. So sort of the precursor to this, to the group that later executes Iran Contra is basically what I call a private CIA that was more or less headed by this guy named Ted Shackley, who's a CIA OSS veteran. And when he goes private and sets up his private CIA, CIA um, during the Carter administration, his main, bank his main client for all his fronts and all this stuff is is this john doyce guy um so i mean there's a lot of interesting characters in bermuda that that pop up in the story and of course you know epstein's own finances pop up in in some of these offshore leaks um that have come out in recent years and he has you know uh some of those vehicle financial vehicles he was using have overlap with uh, mark rich companies like glencore and mark rich like john doyce is also a very controversial commodity trader uh with overt intelligence ties as well not necessarily to cia people uh more to israel people um, and also capital flight from the Soviet Union. And actually one of the companies he co-founded, uh, Nordex, ends up employing the Maxwell brothers, <laughs> Kevin and Ian, after Robert Maxwell's death. Um, and is also involved in, you know, massive capital flight from the Soviet Union. And then the, one of the other guys that's in charge of it, um, named Grigory Luchowski, he ends up being involved in the same campaign finance scandal with Mark Middleton um and is involved with organized crime and and you know uh is very close uh, to this guy who's closely associated with sort of these mega group quote unquote billionaires in new york um specifically steven spielberg in that in that particular orbit so it's it's pretty mental um there's a lot going <laughs> going on here easily sorry if i got a little um you know, off the, <laughs> off from answering your, your initial question. But when it comes to the finance stuff, it's hard to know. We have some records, but there's a lot of stuff that like, 
the records would have to be subpoenaed or like obtained as part of an official investigation. Cause you know, a lot of these are private offshore entities that don't respect freedom of information requests. Right. Um, so really the only way to have definitive answers to a lot of this is to get those documents. And unfortunately, you know, people are asking about the client list, but they're not asking about the Epstein finance information. And I wish they would ask about both personally. We've only got about 10 minutes left. I had a few questions come in. So Verity wants to know, do you know of any evidence on Epstein's computers that could eventually come out? Um, I don't think it's going to come out. I think com some computers were seized, but they also gave them plenty of time. For example, uh, the island was raided, what, like over a month after Epstein was uh, arrested in his townhouse in New York, initially raided, giving people ample amounts of time to scrub any sort of evidence from the computers uh, that were there. And then you have the case of Zorro Ranch, for example, never raided at all. Uh-oh. So, I mean, I guess it just comes down to what they would have taken from the New York townhouse and if they'll release it. And I think really all the parties here are extremely compromised. It's very unlikely that the FBI is going to let anything that was on there out. Because, again, this all ties back. They're trying to keep the focus specifically on very specific stuff with Epstein. It's a classic limited hangout. They They, they want you to only talk about Epstein sex crimes from 2000 to 2006. And that's it. Uh, mainstream media won't really cover anything beyond that. And that's because if you start pulling on the other stuff, particularly what Epstein was doing before the year 2000, a lot of other stuff starts to unravel very quickly. And so they're trying to keep it, you know, as limited as, as, as limited as they can, really. Um, it, it, there's so much to get into here because you're talking about a guy who has a, a career spanning decades and he's, you know, middle management, I guess you could say for a lot of very big scandals going through these decades. So he has his hands in very, um, you know, complicated pies. Oh, sorry, lack of imaginative metaphors today, but, <laughs> but basically, I mean, he, he, it's sort of like a meta scandal, you know, you sort of start pulling on one string and you unravel the whole web. You know what I mean? Um, and th that's sort of how Epstein is. And, but because he's, fills that type of niche throughout the decades, you're going to be unraveling multiple webs, you know, that are actual criminal conspiracies involving very high levels of government. And, you know, the FBI for a long time, for example, has just been a completely weaponized agency. I know people that are, you know, Trump supporters may see that only as a recent phenomena, but that's not true at all. And as I wrote about in my uh, original series for Mint Press, and as I write about in the book, uh, the first director of the FBI was sexually blackmailed by organized crime to never go after organized crime. So the FBI doesn't go after these people more often than not. The FBI assist these people in covering up their crimes. So yeah, they're not going to release the tapes and they're not going to release the quote unquote client list. Agent Orange has asked, does the octopus syndicate have any involvement? Yeah, this basically is the octopus. So I'm assuming that there is uh, what, um, so Danny Casolero, who's one of these promise so software scandal related figures that dies in 1991, along with Robert Maxwell, Danny Casolero was obviously murdered. It was a stage suicide. He was a journalist investigating what he called the octopus. Um, but basically the octopus, you know, he saw it as this group 
involved in Iran-Contra, involved in the October surprise, involved in the Promise software scandal, uh, involved in drug trafficking, um, all sorts of stuff. And it's basically organized crime and intelligence coming together. And, uh, and you know, I, yeah, basically volume one of my book is about the octopus and how it came to be and where Epstein fits into it. Uh, it's it's pretty much the same group. Um, in Iran Contra testimony, they were they uh, referred to themselves as the enterprise, and I think that's pretty much yeah what they are. They're a business. It's a business, and all they care about is protecting the rackets. It, they don't have any national allegiance. It's transnational crime, but it's crime that pays. Big time. Mm-hmm. So Matthew Steeples has sent another question. Do you know about the 1994 investigations into Galen in London by the London Metropolitan Police? No, I didn't really look into, uh, unfortunately, I didn't really look in, into too much on the UK side of things because I was mainly focusing on, on Ep- the Epstein-Wexner-Clinton White House stuff. Um, in volume two in the book. So I do, I have one chapter that's devoted to Ghislaine, uh, but a lot of it, uh, unfortunately not overtly, uh, UK focused. There's a lot more to do on the, on the UK side of, uh, side of things for sure. I did file a freedom of information request with Met police, but that was about something different. That was about, uh, two U S senators, uh, meeting at a Wexner owned residence in the UK that uh, had met police protection when the senators visited. And it seems like uh, that was an attempt by Epstein, an apparently successful attempt to sexually blackmail two sitting U.S. senators. So been uh, filed freedom of information <laughs> request with the Met Police. They said no on national security grounds. <laughs> so, you know, I don't really expect the Met Police to be very cooperative with any sort of stuff. But um, thanks for the lead on that. Unfortunately, I won't be able to in- include, include it in my book because it comes out tomorrow. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, de- I also really would like to look into the other Maxwell siblings that mainly stayed focused in the UK. So the book, again, um, I get into Christine and Isabel Maxwell, Ghislaine Maxwell's sisters. But again, they're focused very much in Silicon Valley and also Israel um, at that point. Um, and it's really Kevin and Ian that sort of stay in the UK stuff. And they're obviously involved in some sort of shady financial stuff. I'd like to look a lot more into uh, Kevin Maxwell's company, Telemond, um, at, at the, you know, in the end of the 90s, early 2000s and stuff. But there's there's a lot more I'd like to, um, yeah, uh, check out. Lee wants to know whether there is a statute of limitations on the financial crimes you've described. Uh, sorry, what was that? He wants to know if there is a statute of limitations on the financial crimes you've described. Um, not, not sure. Not sure. Okay, my question is then, how blatantly was Jean-Luc Brunel suicided? Yeah, so I'm not aware of the circumstances of his death, but it's very obvious that there was some sort of motive to silence him. Um, I do talk about him considerably in chapter 18, which is the one about um, focused on sex trafficking, trafficking because of the whole model angle. Um, this whole thing, will you model for Victoria's Secret, all of that. You, John, that that model that Epstein later followed was actually originally developed by Jean-Luc Brunel in the 1980s um, in Paris. And there was actually a 60 Minutes expose about it at the time. Um, and uh but you know again 
lack of interest in pursuing this stuff because one of the main his main business partners that was also involved with Epstein in the modeling world and an apparent accessory to the sex trafficking stuff is the head of Next Models, which is a huge modeling agency in the United States. Uh, I can't remember her last name. I think her first name is Kate. Um, but you know, she was obviously like involved in some capacity, but there's a, you know, an effort to protect her there. Um, but John Luke Brunel was very central to a lot of the stuff going on here in a way that is uh, in terms of the sex trafficking stuff. And I don't think they wanted um, that to really come out either um because you know then it would have gotten into who were the clients i mean we know for example that powerful people like ehud barak are going around and visiting the apartments where a lot of these trafficked women were being housed particularly in the brunel part of the operation and stuff so uh it's 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 troubling uh and so i don't really think it's that surprising I, when it comes to the sex trafficking stuff i mean brunel's just as central really as, as maxwell is so have you, have you found any crossover with peter nygaard's case no i didn't i didn't look for that um i mean again i was trying to write one book it ended up being 900 pages so there's a lot of stuff i couldn't get into unfortunately you know again this is something that's spanning so many decades and has so many tendrils branching out from it i mean you could write a book about any of those tendrils it's very hard to put ev literally everything in one book. So basically what I tried to do is um, make a, a what I hope is a very convincing case to people about the intelligence ties of Epstein and um, a lot of the aspects of the case that haven't gotten mainstream media coverage and show how it fits into the power structure of the U.S. Because the important takeaway, again, is that Jeffrey Epstein had a network behind him uh, that enabled his activities and protected him for a, a considerable number of years in that network precedes Epstein and it continues after he's gone. So the important thing to remember is let's use Epstein as a vehicle for exploring this group uh, because, you know, Epstein's gone. That doesn't mean the problem is gone. Yeah. Um, and, you know, mainstream media wants to treat it like that to be like, well, Bill Gates specifically in an interview when he was asked about Jeffrey Epstein, he's like, well, it doesn't matter. He's dead. That was basically his, expression about it um and no that's not how it works um i mean they, they want us to think that that jeffrey epstein was the only bad billionaire um and now he's gone and everything's fine and that's no um i'm trying to disabuse people of that illusion in the book so again i hope this will be a uh, like a reference a starting point really for future investigations there's so i i, I sourced everything pretty exhaustively um very high quality sources um there's a lot to pick up on and there's a lot of different threads to follow you know i did my best to be comprehensive but again you know i can't make a three thousand page book and you know expect people to read it all i had to just you know start somewhere and, and try and make a cohesive piece but it's it's difficult to get it all into one book so Ash said that the book is showing is sold out on Amazon. So how could people get it? So in the UK, uh, as I understand, volume one is sold out uh, in uh, on Amazon. But UK Amazon, you can still order from the publisher in the US, but I understand that international shipping is a bit high. Uh, I've been told that a website called hive.co.uk uh, has the book available, volume one. And volume one comes out tomorrow. Uh, volume two comes out in a couple weeks. 
Um, it, you can also order the bundle through Trine Day and you'll get both books at the same time. So you'll get volume two earlier if you order the bundle through Trine Day. But again, international shipping is a bit complicated. Um, hopefully next month there will be an ebook and an audio book available and that's both volumes together. So that may be more cost effective for, for some people. I'm going on the book depository now, which provides free shipping worldwide. And Book Depository is showing your book as available and people can order it through the Book Depository. So that's, um, I think they're a branch of okay, Amazon. Great. I think they are a branch of Amazon, the Book Depository. But it just provides uh, free shipping worldwide. So any, anywhere, anyone in the world can get the book and uh, just pay the price of the book. Yeah. Yeah, great. Right. We've run out of time. It's always been mind blowing with you, Whitney. Appreciate you know all the collabs we've done over the years. It's great to see that you've just exploded with all this information in literary form. So people, it's it's just... a very information <laughs> dense book. It's very yeah. dense. Uh, so it's not a fast read, but I think it's an important read. How can people uh, follow you? Are you still on on some of the platforms? Yeah, I'm on some. So um, I think they were posted here in the in the chat, but you can uh, I'm on Twitter still. I'm on Telegram, but not under my name on Telegram. Uh, I'm under Unlimited Hangout on Telegram and my website's Unlimited Hangout. You can sign up for my newsletter uh, by going to unlimitedhangout.com slash newsletter. So all updates about the book. Um, I have a podcast. I, I produce articles on many other topics besides Epstein. Uh, you're welcome to peruse all of that, um, you know, whenever you wish <laughs> all right well huge thank you for coming on again and have a great rest of your day in chile take care whitney yeah thanks take care bye-bye bye-bye thanks yep always fascinating whitney webb does not mess around she just lays it out in ways that are extremely well researched and sourced so people can't mess with her she definitely, you know, like I said, when this this old Epstein thing began, she was at the tip of the spear there. Let's bring in Andrew Gold, shall we? And our next guest, Dr. Abby. Let's see if he's in the uh, people. Mm. What name is Dr. Abby Lube in... The people under ash. Can you tell us? Because I don't see hmm. that name there right now. Ash is going to have a look. Abby. Abby. How are you doing, my friend? Pretty, pretty good. Just chatting away with Ash the whole time, as is, as is my uh, won't, as is my custom. Avi Loeb says he's here. In chat, but Avi, no. Has Ash been stalking you? Are you going to file a Alex Belfield type lawsuit against him? We should not joke. A criminal complaint? We shouldn't joke, but I would say that my lawyers have been contacted, as have yours. Ah, Sean, we are doing a what they call a civil suit to take that monster Ash Meikle down. (laughs) Right, let's see. Do you want to invite Avi onto the screen? Yes. What about those pictures of us, the, the artwork? That was fantastic, wasn't it? It's my favorite thing. In fact, I forgot to show it to uh, my girlfriend. Hello, Dr. Avi Lerb. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, thanks for having me. 
You're very welcome. Is it is Loeb the right pronunciation? Loeb, yes. Originally, Loeb. it's German, but um, in, in the US, they call me Loeb. I was uh -huh. born in Israel, and uh, they call, there they call me Leib, actually. Oh, Leib. Yes, okay. Right, I speak German, and so it will be Loeb there, but I now exactly. realize the yeah, Yiddish sound Leib. It's, it's only yes. three letters, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, genau. And I know in the Yiddish is a A sound instead of the er sound. So so that's maybe why they do that in, in, in Israel. So um, tell me a little bit about your background and work because it's fascinating. Well, I was born on a farm. Uh, I'm basically, you can treat me as a farm boy. I used to collect eggs every afternoon and drive a tractor to the hills oh. of uh, the village every weekend to read philosophy books. And uh, that pretty much explains what I'm doing now because I was very connected to nature, less so to people. So I don't have any footprint on social media. I don't care how many likes I get on Twitter. What I care about is understanding the reality that we live in. And uh, every morning I jog at 5 a.m. in the company of birds, ducks, bunnies, wild turkeys. And I really enjoy nature left to itself. And, you know, the biggest um, uh, volume of, of nature is actually out there. You know, we, we tend to focus on the two-dimensional surface of the earth. You know, if you open the morning news, it's all about what happens on this planet. But there is a third dimension uh, looking up. And uh, actually, the universe is too big for us to ignore it. So I'm very fortunate to actually enjoy what I'm doing right now, even though, you know, it was a forced marriage. Uh, uh, it was sort of a, an arranged marriage, I should say, because uh, I was interested in philosophy and then uh, I had to serve in the military. That's obligatory in Israel, but I selected physics as a compromise. It's still, uh, it involves intellectual work, but, um, you know, uh, it was not what I was aiming for. Um, but uh, then I ended up as a tenured professor at Harvard. I served uh, for nine years as the chair of the astronomy department at Harvard, the longest serving chair over the past decade. And wow. um, uh, in the process of getting there, I realized that I'm actually married to my true love, even though it was an arranged marriage, because there are many fundamental questions that used to belong to philosophy that we can address using the scientific method. And uh, we can talk about some of them, like how did the universe start? What was there before the Big Bang? But the one that concerns me the most right now is are we alone? Is there a neighbor that is smarter than we are or perhaps that existed before us? Because that would offer the opportunity to learn from that neighbor. You know, I have no problem looking over the shoulder of a smarter classmate in trying to figure out the answer to fundamental questions to which we don't have an answer. Uh, and uh, it will save us a lot of years. And also, if we find a gadget that was generated by a more advanced technological civilization, you know, like iPhone 100, version 100, uh, you know, that, that would be fun because um, first we need to figure out what it does. And second, there would be lots of people in Silicon Valley interested in cashing on it. So yeah. uh, I'm saying it's an opportunity for us to leap forward. And, we, you know, it's, it's a mistake on our behalf to um, basically think that we are the smartest that ever existed, that Albert Einstein is the smartest scientist who ever lived since the Big Bang 13.8 billion years ago. It's very likely there was a, sm a smarter scientist on an exoplanet uh, a billion years ago. And, and, and those civilizations who benefited from smarter scientists 
could have sent equipment to space that we can find. Isn't it an amazing thought to, to think about somebody a billion years ago uh, on a different planet who was having, you know, not just scientific endeavors, but also love and uh, just living their life or just even just picking their nose or, or something, you know, is, yeah. and you, no, I mean, you believe it's possible. Well, you know, I spoke with the curator of the Museum of Modern Art in New York City, and I told her, uh, her last name is Antonelli, I told her that if we find a gadget that uh, represents our future uh, from another civilization, I'll be glad to put it on exhibit in MoMA, in the Museum of Modern Art, because for us it would represent modernity. Even though for the senders, it would be ancient history. So the one thing to realize is the universe existed for 13.8 billion years, okay? And most stars formed earlier than the sun. So they predated the sun by billions of years. So if you imagine the same clock ticking elsewhere on near another star, you know, they could have predated us by a billion years. That's a long time. During that time, you can pretty much fill up the Milky Way galaxy with probes that move with chemical propulsion like we sent out of the solar system. You know, we sent five probes, Voyager 1, Voyager 2, Pioneer 10, Pioneer 11, and New Horizons. They are leaving the solar system. Just over the past half century, that's what we did. And imagine if we were to continue doing that for millions of years, you know, like, so it's possible the Milky Way galaxy is full of these probes. And just to give you a sense, only over the past decade, astronomers started finding objects that came from outside the solar system only over the past decade. And by now, there are, as of yesterday, there are uh, uh, four of them. Two of them I discovered with my student, Amir Siraj at Harvard. They wow. were the first interstellar meteors, one discovered in 2014 and the other one in 2017. The third one is called Oumuamua. We can talk about it. I have a book called Exoterrestrial dedicated to that one. And the fourth one uh, is called Borisov after the amateur astronomer who discovered it. And the fourth one is the only one that looks familiar. You know, it's like having guests for dinner and out of the four that you get, only one appears familiar. Someone that you can really associate with things you've seen before, like icy rocks we have seen in the solar system. The first three are really strange. Like the meteors are tougher than any meteor we had seen. So there is a catalog of meteors uh, having 273 objects in it. A meteor, just to explain, a meteor is an object that the Earth collides with. So the Earth moves around the sun and every now and then it collides with an object that crosses its path by chance, just like a fishing net collecting objects. <laughs> And uh, that's called the meteor because such an object usually burns up in the atmosphere as a result of the friction with the air. So uh, the U.S. government has sensors that monitor the atmosphere for ballistic missiles. Okay, they want to, as a matter of national security, they want to know about objects entering in, in the direction sure. of the U.S., right? So every now and then they see an object that comes from space. And they put it in a cut. They say, well, that's not a risk for us. Uh, it just came from space. They put it in a catalog that is publicly available. It's called the CNEOS. Over the past decade, they had 273 objects there. So 
I was interviewed for a radio station one day in 2019 and about a meteor and I went online, I saw this catalog and I told my student, why don't we check the fastest moving ones and see if they came into the solar system from outside the solar system. There is a very simple way to tell. If they move too fast, they are not bound to the sun. Gravity is not strong enough to keep them in the solar system. So we actually found that meteor from January 8th, 2014, that was moving at 60 kilometers per second outside the solar system, very fast. And it was moving faster than 95% of all the stars in the vicinity of the sun, relative to the sun. Wow. So uh, we said, okay, well, that object is the first object. It's from 2014, the first one uh, from outside the solar system. And then our colleagues were saying, you know, we don't believe the US government. Uh, we want proof that this is indeed... So then um, in uh, March this year, 2022, a few years later, the US Space Command released a letter saying that they confirm our finding that this meteor indeed came from outside the solar system at the 99.999% confidence. And at wow. that point, you know, our paper was accepted for publication three years too late. And we started to design an expedition I got one and a half million dollars as of two weeks ago to go on an expedition to collect the fragments of this meteor. Why? Because not only it was moving very fast, but from the government data that was released uh, this year, together with the letter, we were able to infer that the meteor burned up only in the lower atmosphere of the Earth. And therefore, it had a very tough material composition it was the material strength actually was the highest among all the meteors in the catalog so it's tougher than 99.7 percent of all meteors tougher than iron and just because it disintegrated only at the lower atmosphere where the stress was enormous so we can tell the material strength was quite high and the question is what is it and there are two possibilities. It's clear that it's an outlier. It doesn't belong to the type of rocks that you see in the solar system because it's so tough, you know. Um, the question is, does it originate from a very unusual natural source? Or maybe it's a spacecraft. Maybe it's made of an alloy that is artificially made to sustain the extreme stress of the atmosphere. So the only way to hmm. find out is to go there, collect the fragments, and figure out what it's made of. That's the way science is done. And, uh, you know, what I see some people doing is saying, oh, it's a waste of time, it's a waste of money, why should we care about this rock? And I say, it's a very unusual rock. It's the first one that humanity spotted coming from outside the solar system. And it was moving faster than 95% of the stars. And it was tougher than all the other objects wow. that we, we, we know but it, about. But it has disintegrated a bit, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it disintegrated 18.7 kilometers above the ocean surface, uh, about 100 okay. miles off the coast of Papua New Guinea. So but the point that's is... no good for a spacecraft, is it? No, no, no. So it was probably not operational. That's my guess. It, you know, just think about our New Horizons spacecraft. Okay, we launched it a decade and a half ago towards Pluto, and it's making its way out of the solar system now, okay? Hmm. Just imagine a billion years from now, uh, New Horizons colliding with an exoplanet. And the exoscientists on that planet say, oh, look at this meteor burning up in our atmosphere. 
And then imagine one of them saying, well, let's raise some funds to go on an expedition and check the fragments because it came from outside of our planetary system. So people say, oh, why do we need to do that? We know about the rocks in, the, in our planet. But he <laughs> says, that person says, no, I want to check it out. Then he goes there, uh, scoops the ocean floor, and figures out that it's made of an alloy that nature doesn't put together. And moreover, you know, on New Horizons, there was a small box that was attached to it that carried 30 grams of the ashes of Clyde Tambau, the scientist who discovered Pluto. So now just think about it. Those um, uh, uh, exo-scientists, you know, realizing that humans destroyed the, the genetic information about a scientist they wanted to commemorate. That makes no sense. Like, why would you burn up the DNA of a person you want to celebrate? Uh, so they would say this, this uh, society that sent this spacecraft, you know, they're not very intelligent. They're very aggressive. <laughs> they have these rituals of destroying the information about the person they want to commemorate. We don't want anything to do with them. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty <laughs> insane as a thought. I suppose for people, for anybody who's new to like the alien discussion or the extraterrestrial discussion, you probably ha maybe have to explain uh, the Fermi paradox. Is that what it was called, the Fermi paradox? Yeah, so, so about 70 years ago, Enrico Fermi, a very distinguished uh, physicist who won the Nobel Prize for a mistake, by the way, what he was awarded the Nobel Prize for turned out to be wrong, but he did so many important things among them. He was part of the Manhattan Project. He built the first uh, nuclear reactor uh, in the, at the University of Chicago. It's still there. Uh, at any event, um, he was uh, at Los Alamos, obviously, Manhattan Project. Um, so, um, And he was having lunch with friends, and they were talking about extraterrestrials. And he said, if they are out there, and it's very likely because there are so many stars, billions of stars, where is everybody? He was asking. And that became the Fermi paradox. Why don't now just think about it? If you sit at home and you don't see anyone around you, you sit on your sofa, you say, I don't have any neighbors. Where are my neighbors? Well, in order to find your neighbors, you need you better look through your windows and you better use a telescope or you check your backyard whether there are objects that came from the cosmic street. You can't just say, I don't see anyone around me because he didn't actually use telescopes at the time. And as I said, only over the past decade, we had a survey telescope called PanStars in Hawaii that discovered Oumuamua. We had those uh, satellites that the government, the US government employs to detect meteors of the type that is cataloged in the CNEOS uh, catalog. So, in the days of Fermi, you know, 60 years earlier, there weren't any instruments like that. So obviously, where is everybody? Uh, now, you have to also recognize that, you know, we are talking about billions of years in the context of the universe. So if you're sitting at Los Alamos in 1951 or whatever, and uh, asking this question, it's a very short time span that you are monitoring anything happening around you, okay? Uh, compared to the age of the universe or compared to the ages of stars. So you need the visitors to be there at the time that you're asking the question, which is a very short time span, okay? Yeah. Moreover, space is huge. You know, it's just huge. We are not used to it. But if they sent, for example, small gadgets, you will notice them. 
because uh, Oumuamua that was discovered by the survey telescope in Hawaii uh, was the size of a football field. And that's pretty much the smallest size object that we can see the reflection of sunlight from and detect it within the orbit of the Earth around the sun. Okay, so we can't see objects that are the size of a CubeSat that we are sent, you know, the NASA never sent a, a spacecraft the size of a football field. So we may have been missing objects passing by uh, if they are just space trash, uh, unless they collide with the Earth in the case of a meteor. And uh, moreover, you know, there may be many more small objects compared to big objects. And if they move very fast, we wouldn't want this either. So, we are, you know, we are just at the infancy of actually looking for such yeah. things. And, and, you know, there was a long history of SETI, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence that you might be familiar with. It was all guided by the fact that we developed radio communication. And then some astronomers said, okay, well, if we are using radio waves to communicate, maybe, you know, we should search for signals. It sounds like a good idea, but rather narrow-minded because, you know, we just developed radio communication over the past century, okay? And and they probably moved beyond that after 100, 200, 300 years. Like, we already use fiber optics. We use laser communication in space. So my point is, you know, if we don't detect any signals, it doesn't mean much because, perhaps, you know, and also their civilizations may have not lasted very long, but... If instead of radio signals, if they sent uh, equipment to space uh, with chemical propulsion, it's still gravitationally bound to the Milky Way. So the Milky Way is like a basket that keeps all the objects moving at tens of kilometers per second bound to it because it's less than the escape speed. Whereas signals of light escape from the Milky Way, if they were sent a billion years ago, they are now a billion light years away. They're very far away. We can't see them. So my point is we can look for the accumulated uh, relics from those civilizations that predated us. And it's just like doing archaeology. I call it interstellar archaeology, basically finding evidence for things that existed before us. If you were to, you know, look for radio signal, it's just like saying, you know, I want to have a phone call with Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. Okay, so it doesn't matter how many numbers you dial on your cell phone, you would never get to Mozart because he's dead. Okay, and the only way to find out about Mozart is to find the musical notes that he wrote, and then you realize that he existed. And in much the same way, us trying to find a radio signal could be misguided because the civilization that we are trying to communicate with does not exist anymore. And one way to find about it is to find things that it left behind. And I suppose one way that we're trying to find things is through the new James Webb telescope. I've got a question from Ray J in the audience who's just asking, has the telescope or hasn't the telescope just found something older than the estimated age of the universe? No, no, no. Uh, so I, I was actually on the um, advisory committee that designed the James Webb Space Telescope. Back then it was called the Next Generation Space Telescope, which I guess would have been in, in, in retrospect a better choice they selected to name it after nasa administrator because uh, it secured the funding if you give credit to an early administration at any event sure. um, this telescope was designed to look at the first stars the first galaxies okay and that means going back to maybe uh, a few hundred million years after the big bang seeing those distant sources that emitted their light when the universe was much younger 
about 5% or less of the, the present age of the universe. I actually, that was my main uh, work actually early on in my career. Uh, there were only a few people interested in the subject uh, at the time that I started, about three decades ago. I wrote two textbooks about those uh, early galaxies. Now, indeed, the James Webb Space Telescope works fantastically well. Okay, so in the first images that it released, uh, there was actually a very deep image of the universe that revealed galaxies that existed hundreds of millions of years after the Big Bang, okay? Um, and we can see the stars emitting light. There is no issue with them being older than the universe. Um, by the way, we can never see something older than the universe. I mean, light is arriving to us from a distance such that you know, uh, it was emitted at the right time for us to see it now. So if you're looking at very distant sources, you know, they at most can be at the distance that light traversed since the Big Bang. We can't see things that are older than the Big Bang. Okay. Mm -hmm. And um, so uh, the issue that was raised about some of these galaxies is that they appear to be very massive. Okay. So people said, oh, these are such massive galaxies. That's in conflict with the popular model of the universe, which... Uh, is that you start with small building blocks. Galaxies start as dwarf galaxies and then they combine. Think of it of, as Lego pieces. So you start with uh, a Lego piece that is about a millionth of the mass of the Milky Way. And then uh, these Lego pieces come together and build bigger and bigger galaxies. And the surprise uh, is that some of the objects that were seen, some of the galaxies that were seen at early times, are relatively big, bigger than expected. And uh, right. currently there is a discussion about it. It's not resolved yet, but some people suggest that these galaxies may not, were not correctly identified, that in fact they are big because they are closer to us. They, you know, in, in trying to figure out how far away they are, you have to use um, the, what is called the spectrum of a galaxy, basically the distribution of light as a function of wavelength or frequency. And uh, when you try to fit that, you, you get the so-called cosmological redshift, which gives you a sense of, of the distance. And the claim is perhaps that was misidentified, that in fact, those massive galaxies are closer to us, therefore they are not in conflict with the standard cosmological model. But that is not questioning uh, the light travel. It's just questioning the buildup of structure. So just right. imagine a situation where suppose galaxies started big, okay? It, it doesn't violate anything fundamental. It just says that the way we thought about the buildup of structure is wrong. And in fact, you know, I should say that most of the matter in the universe is of a nature that we don't understand. It's called dark matter. That's 80%, uh, four-fifths of the matter in the universe is made of a substance that we don't see in the solar system. It's not what we are made of. Something else, we don't know what it is, for decades, we've been trying to find out, you know, there were billions of dollars invested trying to find evidence for the particles that make up the dark matter. Nothing was found. So we, we have no clue. And um, that's one of the puzzles that is not resolved. And in a recent commentary, I said, it's really surprising that we get paid uh, as the people <laughs> who study the universe, because we don't know what we are talking about. We don't know what most of the matter in the universe is. And, um, yeah. and the re you know... <laughs> The reason I brought this up, actually, is because um, 
I wrote a paper with a colleague of mine just a week ago about, um, you know, what is astronomy over a period of 10,000 years? You know, we have data over the last century. So just think, you know, if we were to continue this process of collecting data for 10,000 years, 10 millennia, okay? Yeah. Uh, what else can we learn? Well, first of all, we would see the universe expanding in real time. You know, we will see things happening. Um, and uh, so then uh, I, I commented that um, in 10,000 years from now, uh, you know, we scientists, humans, will probably be replaced by AI systems, computers that do the science for us because they yeah. would be smarter. You know, even within a decade, they might be smarter. AI systems will be sentient eventually and will uh, do will process data better than humans. So uh, in 10,000 years, it's very likely that it will be AI scientists. And, and, you know, I hope that they will cite my paper about what <laughs> can you learn in 10,000 years just to demonstrate that we didn't know what we were talking about when we talked about the dark matter and so forth. But the one thing, you know, that's the future as long as uh, the legal system will ban uh, uh, us from unplugging sentient computers from the wall because it would be regarded like murder of humans. If that will be banned, they will rule the world. If, on the other hand, some people will take them out of the outlet, you know, we would we would rule. <laughs> it's a scary thought the terminator stuff i suppose i mean i guess we've only got a couple of minutes but i just made the point i guess i guess i mean does it make you sad i suppose that so much of this stuff won't be found out until quite some time after both you and i are no longer here oh no i don't think so i think one reason that uh, uh, for example we didn't find evidence for gadgets from extraterrestrial civilizations is we didn't search you know it's a self-fulfilling prophecy I'm, you know, people often quote Carl Sagan from the 70s saying extraordinary claims require yeah. extraordinary evidence. I say extraordinary evidence requires extraordinary funding. If we were to invest billions of dollars, the same billions of dollars that we invest in the search for dark matter, which has very little significance uh, for most human lives, you know, if we were to invest similar amounts of funds, you know, like at the search for gadgets or equipment or spacecraft sent in our direction into the solar system from other civilizations we are, we could potentially find it within a decade uh, i i'm you know it's it's basically a road that was not taken okay and the advantage of taking the road not taken that i'm leading the galileo project which is aiming to do that the advantage is that there may be low hanging fruit so i would not give up I would say, let's talk again in a couple of years because we are collecting data right now. We will go on the expedition near Papua New Guinea. You know, it should be interesting. Well, let's let's talk in a couple of years and hopefully you'll have something solid to, to show us tangible evidence of extraterrestrial life. Uh, people should get your book, Extraterrestrial, The First Sign of Intelligent Life Beyond Earth. Is that on Amazon and the usual places? Yeah, it's everywhere. It was translated 25 languages. And, and I actually delivered two weeks ago the, the next book. Uh, it should come out in June 2023. So I hope you will enjoy that as well. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's work in progress, but it's very exciting. The public is excited about it. The government is excited. And uh, I'm excited. I think, you know, we have a chance to learn something really new about our cosmic neighborhood.
Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Dr. Loeb. Uh, and I hope we get to speak again soon. Same here. Thank you. Right. Um, that was great. Wow. What a fascinating man. Um, I like that he's someone so high up in that world and still able to explain things in ways that we can understand. I am sorry that I didn't get to everyone's questions. Um, I, I think uh, Dr. Loeb had a lot to say and it, it meant that I only asked three or four questions in the end. Uh, but, you know, I could listen to him all day. So I'm pleased that he did speak. But I'm sorry to A-Nexus and Mona as, as I was waiting for a moment to get onto your questions. Uh, I can hear Sean clicking about in the background. How are you doing, mate? Yeah, good. I'm just looking for Jim Lee and the people. Yeah, he was great. He was, wasn't he? I mean, yeah, pretty big. I'm looking him up. He's a really big name in that in that world. I can imagine. He's a heavy hitter. Heavy hitter. Speaking of heavy hitters, it's Jim Lee. How you doing, Jim? Doing <laughs> How you doing? <laughs> I'm doing good. That's some good hitting. Uh, it looks like how I might try and do it because I don't know how to hit. But uh, you know, oh man, I don't know how to hit. No, <laughs> I, I fake it till you make it, right? I think that's the only way. My uh, my partner, she um, she winds me up about it a little bit because she can do a bit of the old uh, martial arts and stuff, and I'm like, uh, uh, you know. But uh, what can you do? Well, I'm, I'm exaggerating. Um, I lifetime martial artist. I go to um, Team Robinson Mixed Martial Arts. My 13-year-old uh. daughter and my 6-year-old daughter are in MMA. My 13-year-old already has an yeah. orange belt, and uh, she could take out most guys I know that are adults. Wow. And, hey, that's one heck of an accent, isn't it? It's very exotic to me. Whereabouts are you? Uh, Sumter, South Carolina, and the good old America. Oh, I do declare. That's the only thing I know how to say in American. <laughs> Bless no your says heart. <laughs> they still say i do declare um i haven't heard it in quite well i had i think i did one time uh at a fishing pier one you know down in redneckville <laughs> but yeah it's pretty rare you can't say that now i don't think it's, i don't know but uh you're tracking climate change tell us a little bit about your background and what you do oh we got greenville in the house uh nice yeah, um lovely. Uh, well, I'm, you know, a lifetime student of weather. Uh, I was in Air Force Junior ROTC. I took a year of weather in high school. I do not have a diploma degree, you know, any special piece of paper to hold up to say that, hey, I'm the best at this. But I do have about close to, let's say right now I'm sitting around 200 citations on Google Scholar from MIT, Harvard, the United Nations wow. Environmental Program. Um, regarding uh, the history of weather control, um, I have a website specifically about it, weathermodificationhistory.com. Um, I also have a blog, and I, I create maps. Um, you can go to connect.climateviewer.com, connect.climateviewer.com. I'm Southern, so I slur, I guess. Um and you could find all my stuff. My I'm climate viewer on YouTube, but basically I've spent the last 14 years studying uh, the history of weather control from about the 1850s to present. And I see a commonality, a recurring theme that 
people that I hear today, you know, everything is is climate change, of course. And that's why I chose the, the name Climate Viewer. I not only view the climate change climate, I view the political climate. That's why I talk about pollution, privacy, and propaganda. The three are intimately linked. If you talk about pollution, someone is likely to violate your privacy because they hate activists. And if you're effective, they will make propaganda about you. To shut you up, um, and, and right. I, I've, I see that as a common theme among most activists. Um, you know, once they become effective, you know, at first the, the, there's an old saying: first they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you, then you win. Um, and and that's a typical propaganda scenario. So there's a lot of propaganda s- surrounding the topic of geoengineering, especially. And I like to give people conspiracy facts. Um, so I rely on multiple, to give you an example, climateviewer.com, the, the articles I have on there, probably about 384. I have well over 80,000 reference links um, just on that website alone of the 660 maps on my climateviewer.org. There's probably well over another 80,000 reference links. And weathermodificationhistory.com, there's around 180 timeline entries um, starting at 1850 all the way to present. Um, The thing about weather modification history that's special is everything's in MLA format. So if you're a college student out there that wants to cheat on a paper really quickly, you could just go there and get the references, copy paste them into your article. You're done. I did all the work for you and everything I do is open source and free of charge. So um, I just accept donations as thank you. This is my service to my children um, because I don't want them to grow up in a world where they can't see the stars. And that's where we're headed Um, in a geoengineering scenario. The idea is to rapidly cool the planet by blocking out sunlight. Um, For those who don't know, this started, uh, it was coined in 1977 by Cesare Marchetti, um, but he was more talking about sucking CO2 out of the atmosphere. But in 1994, Mount Pinatubo erupted, and they noticed they, the technocrats, scientists, globalists, they noticed that the planet cooled rapidly. So their idea was to mimic volcanoes like the Mount Pinatubo eruption by injecting sulfur and other chemicals into the stratosphere, and that should cool the planet off. So that was where solar radiation management, geoengineering, the idea was born. But what they totally forgot about was this has been going on since the early 50s with commercial aviation, um, you know, commonly referred to as chemtrails online, planes have been farting all over the sky, spraying nanoparticles of um, metals all, you know, all around the world. There's been a buildup of these metals. Most people may not have noticed, but the sun has turned from yellow to white. I get a lot of questions about that, and that's called sky brightening, and it's attributable to ice haze generated by water vapor sticking to these nanoparticles of metal that are building up in the atmosphere. It's what the scientists want to call accidental geoengineering or inadvertent geoengineering. So between aircraft, 
accidentally geoengineering for 60 plus years ship tracks which is international shipping all that crap from china that we buy here in america in our walmarts come over on these massive ships that have been burning what's called bunker fuel and it's loaded with sulfur and metals and they create marine stratocumulus clouds that make the chemtrails you see over your house look tiny in comparison um if you look at them on a satellite they blow your mind so between these two major sources of climate control, I tell people, don't talk to me about climate change unless you know about the climate changers. Well, I mean, we should say, I mean, chemtrails, a lot of the scientific community say that's not a real thing, don't they? I mean, I don't have any awe in this because I don't, you know, much, I don't know any of this stuff, but we, just to say that there are different opinions out there, right? Well, it's all in how you discuss things. And I have a, a an ability to mold my etymology, my semantics to the, the person I'm talking to. So when I'm talking to the public, you know, I generally will say chemtrails are plane farts or artificial clouds. Um, if I'm t- <laughs> if I'm talking to Dr. Rangasai Halthori, who's the head of the Federal Aviation Administration's Aviation Climate Change Research Initiative, I made the argument to him that I said, Dr. Halthori, you walk outside, you point at the sky, and you say, contrail. And meanwhile, Andrew walks out in the sky and points at the sky and he says, chemtrail. You're both pointing at the exact same thing. You are both right. And he had this aha moment. I said, so whenever you have someone call the Federal Aviation Administration, they're complaining about chemtrails. Why do you respond with chemtrails are not a thing? That is just a conspiracy theory. Instead of being honest and saying, we here at the Federal Aviation Administration take chemtrails seriously because they are a serious climate change concern. In fact, the chemtrails turn into cirrus clouds. They are called contrail-induced cirrus clouds. They trap heat over 5,000 times more than all the CO2 ever emitted from aviation. Therefore, we are actively working on using biofuels for contrail control because it is a serious concern. So we understand your concern. And he was like, uh, yeah, we could probably work on our communications a little better on that. So it totally depends on how you talk about the subject, how much you understand the subject. And I've made a public challenge to any scientist on the planet. I don't care who you are, how many degrees you've got. Um, I will debate them live anywhere, anytime with any moderator, and I will gladly spank their hiney till it's red. Um, <laughs> I'm sure. Because you can't, I, play that, yeah. you can't play the semantic game. Because what I'm reading is contrails are streaks of condensed water vapor created in the air by an airplane or rocket at high altitudes. Um, and that the conspiracy theory is the suggestion that it has long-lasting, lingering additional substances. That's not me c- c- arguing with you, by the way, because as I say, no, I have no I, idea. I, I, it's just I'm very familiar with what you're eating. So here's the, here's the rub. Okay. Condensating on what? That's, that's really all you got to do is go, okay, well... If it's just a condensation trail that eventually turns into a cirrus cloud, which is an ice cloud, because that's what everybody's missing. That's why I use the hashtag cirrus clouds matter. Mm -hmm. 
because people don't understand that whether you call it a chemtrail, whether you call it a contrail, whether I call it a plane fart, once it's fans out and it covers the entire sky, it is no longer any of those things. It is now a cirrus cloud. So to make a cloud, you need three things. You need water vapor, you need a cloud seed, and you need some form of ionizing radiation to make the first two stick together, like static electricity, like galactic cosmic rays. So what is the cloud seed that's making all of these clouds that we're seeing from behind the planes that are fanning out and covering, blocking out the sun? Well, Ulrich Lohman from uh, Finland flew up into the clouds and found that 75% of the cloud seeds in cirrus clouds were man-made metals. Mm-hmm. So there really is no, you know, conspiracy, you know, that is, hasn't already been proven here. The only conspiracy in the chemtrail world boils down to a single word, and that's intent. So a lot of people focus heavily on intent instead of on just the facts. If you focus on intent, then you're going, well, they're doing it because of X, Y, and Z. They're doing it for depopulation. They're doing it to turn the frogs gay. They're doing it for all these reasons. That's my Alex Jones. Um, they're doing it for all, all these reasons. Instead of speculating on all that, it would be much better to just focus on what are the facts. The facts are that planes are farting out aluminum, titanium, zirconium, vanadium, molybdenum, copper, nickel, lead. I could go on. A lot of of freaking metals. And all of these are nanoparticles of metals. They are creating clouds. Clouds have a problem. And your people, Big Buckets of Chicken, BBC News article, um, terrestrial astronomy will be extinct by 2050 because of commercial aviation wow um, meaning we may never see the stars again good i want to get I, I, that, that is worrying and i, I want to get onto question because i missed i missed the opportunity to do so in the last uh interview and i got one from a nexus who says who or what countries or agencies are doing weather control and jake ford adds and why if you go to climateviewer.com right now on the front page is an article titled uh, 50 Years of the United Nations Tracking Weather Modification um, Projects Worldwide. And not only did we get the original reports from the United Nations expert team on weather modification, which shows all of the countries back um, to, I think, like 1959, um, I also went into Google Earth and mapped those out. I had a friend of mine, George Stiller, help me do this huge project of um, gathering all this data. But the simple the simple answer is damn near every country on the planet is in, involved in cloud seeding at a minimum. But that's just the tip of the iceberg. Um, the tools in the weather control uh, you know, toolbox today include things like cloud ionization, lasers, sounding rockets, um, ionospheric heaters like HARP. By the way, there's five ionospheric heaters on the planet. There's HARP in Alaska. There's the Arecibo um, high-frequency array in Puerto Rico. There's the um, Tromso array in Norway. Um, The Sura ionospheric heater in Russia. 
And the Jika Markapuru um, high frequency array, it's actually considered a super darn, which is a super dual auroral radar network. Anyway, but it's 4.5 million freaking watts. This is called space weather modification. Um, hmm. Similar to what we do on the ground um, with planes and ground-based cloud seeding, we put chemicals into the sky to make it rain water. Ionospheric heaters inject shear alvin waves and magnetosonic waves, electromagnetic missiles into space to do plasma seeding to make it precipitate electrons or create artificial aurora among other things like creating extremely low frequency waves using the electro the polar electrojet as a virtual antenna in the sky and attenuating it so we're basically using every layer of our atmosphere as either a resource for you know radio frequency water or as a weapon system and the weapon system part is the the one that concerns me the most um, most people aren't familiar. Um, well, a good portion of people have heard of Operation Popeye. Have you? Mm-mm. Okay. No. So, it, Lyndon Johnson, Lyndon Baines Johnson was our president back in the, the 60s. Right. He said, it lays the predicate and foundation for the development of a weather satellite that will permit man to determine the world's cloud layer and ultimately to control the weather. And he who controls the weather will control the world. 1962. It gets creepier. Then he goes on to talk about space weather modification from space. The masters of infinity would have the power to control earth's weather to cause drought and flood to change the tides and raise the levels of the sea to divert the Gulf stream and change temperate climates to frigid. He, he said this now the, the sea level rise one kind of sticks out to me in this whole climate change debate. Um, But Lyndon Johnson then went on to do weather warfare in Vietnam over Laos and the Ho Chi Minh trail. This involved um, a WC-130, it's a weather um, plane, uh, propellers, and some RF-4s. There was only about 19 individuals who were privy to this. Um, Not even the Secretary of Defense of the the United States was aware of this. Henry Kissinger, the CIA, the United States Air Force, and the United States Navy conducted weather warfare over Vietnam for five years. From 1967 through 1972, it was called Operation Popeye. Then when it became mm-hmm. p- public, as a result of Jack Anderson, a reporter, seeing a note on Lyndon Johnson's desk, he originally published this in the Pentagon Papers. They changed the name to Operation Motor Pool. When that became public, they changed it to Operation Intermediary Compatriot. But re- regardless, mm-hmm. this was... Weather warfare, 1967 through 1972. They sprayed silver iodide and lead iodide into the monsoon rains to to muddy. the, The quote was, make mud, not war. As a result of this. This was published in the New York Times. It started getting published all over the world. There were hearings in America here. Um, 
As a result, the Environmental Modification Convention or Weather Warfare Ban was signed by the United Nations um, in 1976 and ratified in 1978. So there's actually a law on the books called NMOD, E-N-M-O-D, the Environmental Modification Convention, or the Prohibition of Hostile Use of Environmental Modification Techniques. Thank God they shortened that to NMOD. Um, So this weather warfare ban has been on the books since um, 1978. They've never made a way to verify it. Similar to when they banned upper atmospheric nuclear explosions, Uh, With the limited Mm -hmm. test ban treaty, they made infrasound recorders and seismographs. They made the comprehensive test ban treaty organization made a system of sensors worldwide so that when Kim Jong-un fires off a nuke in North Korea, we immediately know because we can triangulate that and say right here is where the nuke went off. The problem is with weather warfare. Yes, we banned weather warfare. It does not ban weather modification. It does not ban geoengineering. It doesn't even ban what HARP and uh, these ionospheric heaters are doing. Because in the in the paperwork, it says long-lasting or severe and has a cause of damage as a, as a result of the weather manipulation. So how do we prove that? And I've come up with a solution I call the Environmental Modification Accountability Act. Um, similar to the chemtrail problem. I don't believe in talking about an issue without having a pragmatic solution. So <laughs> one of the things that I did was in 2015, I went to the United States um, Capitol in Washington, D.C. I went to the Environmental Protection Agency and I went to a public hearing on chemtrails and I laid down the law for 10 minutes straight. Everything I said in 2015 has come true. Jasper Kirkby from CERN um, clarified everything I said and um, his cloud project, cloud cosmics, leading outdoor droplets, whole lot of things like that. Um, but what I'm looking for with the Environmental Modification Accountability Act is uh, accountability and verification. So uh, uh, a prior notice worldwide that you're going to modify the weather and sensors to catch people that don't tell us what they're going to do it. And that's, that's the only way we're going to go into the future with any sort of certainty or safety is that we, we know, and we trust, but verify. And you can find out more about my solution at climateviewer.com slash NMOD. That's E N M O D climateviewer.com slash NMOD. So Ray J is saying the Chinese use weather manipulation during the Olympics and publicly stated. So is that right? This is correct. In 2008 at the Beijing Olympics, uh, the Chinese said they weren't where they were going to they had an open air dome um, stadium and they said, we're going to make sure it doesn't rain on that. Um, so for those who don't understand how the Chinese manipulate the weather, the, uh, the People's Liberation Army is in control of the weather in China. Um, they f- typically fire rockets and the rockets explode. They dump silver iodide into the clouds. But for the Beijing Olympics, they really wanted to up their game. So not only were they firing rockets, they had discussions of dumping liquid nitrogen into clouds. Um, with, with, with weather modification and cloud seeding, you can not only make it rain more and cause floods, you can cause drought. This is called overseeding. So if you put too many seeds in the sky, there's not enough water vapor to stick to any individual seed to grow a raindrop large enough to fall. 
-hmm. So you have to have a proper mixture of seeds and water. So if you put too many seeds in the sky, you can shut rainfall off. They attempted this and failed miserably. But this isn't the only time this has happened. In Chernobyl, when the Chernobyl meltdown occurred, the the radioactive fallout was headed to Moscow. So the Russian military flew planes up and overseeded the sky over Belarus and made all of that radioactive fallout rain on Belarus, and they warned nobody. You can verify this by looking at the radiation fallout charts from Chernobyl. Big round circle around the Chernobyl reactor, big round circle in Belarus, plenty of documentation on weathermodificationhistory.com from scientists, journalists everywhere. Um, They did not want those radioactive clouds to reach Moscow, so they created um, an artificial drought by raining out all of that before it reached them. Bloody hell, that's incredible. I can't believe all this. Um, I got a nexus again saying the sun will modify our planet with fluxes and its magnetism without the help of Earth's petty tyrants playing with the weather. When our poles shift because of the sun, the crust of the Earth slips off the mantle and the flood happens all over again. That's quite worrying. Is that right? So he... uh, we have this thing. So the sun goes through minimums, maximums. This is one of my main gripes with the IPCC is that they, up until this latest, um, they've done like five assessments. I think they're in their six now. They they have not included solar anything into their, um, their climate models. Their cli- climate models are like COVID models. Uh, garbage in, garbage out. If you don't have enough information, you can't predict anything. Hell, they can't predict the weather seven days from now in my hometown. So how could they possibly know what's going to happen in 50 years, let alone how technology is going to transform that? Um, But he's right. Um, Ben Davidson, I'm I'm aware of Ben Davidson as well, suspicious observer, known him for over 10 years. Um, So galactic solar, uh, the the grand solar minimum, we have a 13-year period from solar minimum to solar maximum. And then we have a much longer period where the sun goes through grand solar maximums to grand solar minimums. Right now, we are having a declining sun cycle each cycle, and we're expected to have a grand solar minimum around 2034. Our next solar minimum is in 2025. So during these periods, what happens is our ionosphere is actually weakened. Our ionosphere is like, the shield around the Starship Enterprise, okay? It's powered by the sun. And what it does is it protects us from galactic solar, um, cosmic rays, and all of these things from space. Whenever the sun is weak, our ionosphere is weak, and more galactic cosmic rays can penetrate. This leads to larger cloud formation, stronger hurricanes, more severe weather. Similarly, Whenever there are less sunspots on the sun, when the disk is clear, we typically have larger earthquakes and bigger volcanic eruptions because there's an energy exchange that happens between the sun and the earth. Kind of getting off topic, but I, I, I'm fascinated by all these oh, things. That's interesting. Yeah, interesting. We do have, we've, only, we've only got a minute or two left, so just give us, uh, give us your website again and if there's a Twitter or anywhere else, people could be following you and all of that. 
Um, yeah, if you go to connect.climateviewer.com, it's like my link tree. It has all three of my websites, my BitChute, Rumble, Odyssey, YouTube, all my social medias. Um, there's a lot to dig in there. Uh, I've, I've had people who've been in my websites for over five years. They're like, I barely scratched the surface. So I'm a bit of a nerd. Um, I, I take a lot of notes and I remember all of them. Oh, fascinating. It's been great talking to you, Jim, with your wonderful accent and even more wonderful knowledge of all of this stuff. Guys, go and support Jim. You know, always support our our guests. He's been wonderful tonight. And uh, yeah, thank you again, Jim. Well, Andrew, as we say around here, I like the way you talk. I love the way you talk. <laughs> I, like, I like the way you talk. I love the way you... I can't really do it. I wish, yeah. I, could better, I, wish, I, wish I could do that too, but I'm terrible at it. <laughs> That's not bad, you know. There's, there's definitely been worse than that. That was pretty good. Okay. Oh, well, thanks, Jim. Yeah, you I might have to I leave because I, I don't know how to kick you off. <laughs> He's gone. And that was great. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. It's a pleasure to see you all here. All the same, the usual lovely names on the side. Sorry, I couldn't ask all your questions. I can hear Sean's breathing now. So what's he saying? <laughs> Just saying good night. Farewell, everybody. Thank you for joining us. It's been a blast of an evening. And can't wait to get the Midnight Express video up tomorrow. Billy Hayes. You're gonna, that's going to that's gonna do well, mate. Good luck with that. And uh, I'll speak to you soon, mate. All right. Good night, everybody. Bye, everyone. Much love. Take care out there, wherever you are in the world. Thanks for supporting us. Cheers. Bye-bye.